And one of the basic ones is still like a, a, a colonizer kind of thing where it's like somehow we are separate from nature. It's the only way private property could exist is if we're separate, if we're separate from nature. And all of that doesn't fit, actually. All of that is out of uh, alignment. I am Erin McMorrow, and this is the Lifestylist Podcast. It's time to strap on your helmet and dig into episode 371. It's the inner journey, saving your soul to save us all with Dr. Aaron U. Juin McMorrow. Before we jump into what was an incredibly enlightening and inspiring conversation for me as the host, I'd like to invite you to join me at my online store. You can find that at lukestory.com slash store. Over the past few years, many people have asked me and continue to ask me, what are my favorite products when it comes to health and wellness? You know, I'm quite the health enthusiast, as those of you that listen to the show know, and I found it to be really useful for me to find one single place where I could put everything that I have used or continue to use in my life to support my well-being, vitality, and longevity. So again, join me there at lukestory.com store. Here are some credentials for our brilliant guest, Erin. She's a certified yoga teacher, craniosacral therapist, and entrepreneur. She holds a PhD in policy planning and development from USC and studied political and social thought at the University of Virginia, serving as the director of housing policy with the Los Angeles Coalition to End Hunger and Homelessness. But wait, that's not all. She's also the author of an incredible book called Grounded, a fierce feminine guide to connecting with the soil and healing from the ground up, which served as the basis for this really fun and inspiring conversation. Here are but a few of the topics discussed in this chat with Erin. First, she reads a beautiful poem at the beginning of her book. She talks about how she arrived at her understanding of the importance of soil and the environment, the role fungi plays in our soil, what makes soil sexy, the future of growing our own food, the practicalities and challenge of composting for the average person. And then we get into a really deep conversation about environmentalism and some of its inherent hypocrisy. And I won't uh, bore you with the bullet points there, but I think you'll really enjoy that if you're a free thinker and someone with a creative mind. But definitely stay tuned for that part. We talk about Aaron's definition of patriarchy and how it relates to the balance of masculine and feminine energy, how conscious, balanced, healed men are critical to women's empowerment and care, the relationship between male genital mutilation and their lack of compassion, how ego dominance has perpetuated colonialism and the destruction of indigenous peoples, the greedy, manipulative entities in power and how they enslave us using taxes, the corrupt legal and political system, etc., the goddess archetype and how it's been vilified, Aaron's experience healing with plant medicines, the vagina voice connection and how Aaron's orgy experience helped her become more embodied, what sacred sexuality means to Aaron, how working with the chakra system improved Aaron's well-being, how animals shake things off and how we can use this process to relieve trauma, how inner and outer work are actually one and the same, Mother Teresa's tips for changing the world, and finally, practical ways we can support indigenous peoples and lands. So this was a very transformative conversation for me, and uh, it was really fun just to hit the ball across the net with Aaron. I mean, I think we walked into it perhaps with some different ideas, and we found so much common ground. And I just honor and respect her ability to continue to evolve uh, her way of thinking and her model of the world. And this was an incredible opportunity for me to do the same. And my hope is 
you listeners out there that will be for you as well. So let's go ahead and cut loose with Dr. Aaron Yu Juin McMorrow. Enjoy the show. Aaron, I thought a beautiful way to start this podcast episode would be a reading of the gorgeous poem in the beginning of your book. Would you be open to starting with that? Absolutely. Okay, great. I'm going to dial it in for us. All right. uh, I'm not a big poetry person, mm-hmm. um, although I used to write a lot of lyrics when I played music and stuff. And even people will send me like a roomy poem and I mean, beautiful poems. And I'm like, that's nice, mm-hmm. but I don't really... It, I don't get a big feeling out of it, but when I read this, and especially when I listened to the audiobook, I was like, damn, that is powerful. And it's such a perfect encapsulation of what's to follow in the book. So thank you for mm. your thank you. your contribution and vulnerability in putting that in there. I know it's for some, <laughs> it would be for me hard to share something like that. So mm, thank, thank you. you. Well, I, it all came out in one piece. I just channeled it straight really? up. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't labor over it? I, Not at all. Oh my Not, God. I didn't edit it at all. It was an wow. Instagram post that just came through. Um, and when I posted it, it, it got over a thousand likes within some, I went to Catalina and like turned my phone off and came back and it was this quick, uh, I mean, I don't have a huge following. So yeah. like it, that was a lot. And um, it just resonated. I actually, I also posted it with a um, a picture of the of a vagina with the Virgin Mary. So this sort of like the metaphor of the great mother. So we'll obviously get into that. But awesome. um, yeah, powerful. Okay. Are you afraid of the void, the fertile soil, the fertile soul? where seeds come to life. Crack open, fight for light. In darkness we grow. From the void we emerge. New moon, bloody flow. Where'd she go? Welcome to the collective blind spot. The collective wound. Death, release, decomposition, rebirth. She is the garden. There is no exile. She simply holds space for us to finally face the eternal truth. How could this be? What can't we see? Cycles unbroken, simply imbalanced, return again and again. Connect the dots, my lovers and friends. The wound only heals when we face in. The humble word, eight-legged goddess, infinity creatrix, night sky everlasting. There's only one way home. Turn in, tune in. Yin yang, up down, in out. Breath reveals, holy love heals. Follow the drumbeat, look toward the light, bow to the night. The portal, the vortex, the mother, the spiral, the beat, the virgin, woman unto herself. Sexual healing, that's what I said. As above, so below. What are we pretending we don't know? Welcome the muse of creation and transformation, priestesses of transmutation, goddesses of liberation. Bow to the great mother, remember the soil, stuff of stars, the humble answer, rebirthing the only truth there ever was. Damn. So beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. I wish I could start every episode that way. <laughs> like, it gave me that a re- was a nice way to start. I haven't done A that. really nice way to, for me mm. to ground in. So thank mm. you. So the book we're talking about, which I can show on my camera angle, uh, is Grounded, A Fierce Feminine Guide to Connecting with the Soil and Healing from the Ground Up. 
And for those listening, um, you can, of course, find that where books are sold. You can find the show notes for this at lukestory.com slash grounded. Let's call it that, lukestory.com slash grounded. So anything mentioned today will be nice. uh, linked in the show notes. So, God, there's so much I want to talk to you about today. Um, let's see, where do I want to go with this? How did you arrive at your understanding of the importance of soil as it pertains to uh, sustaining all life and the environment in general? Well, it's a funny story. So I, I got a PhD in urban planning and sustainable cities from USC. In uh, I graduated in 2013 and I had been studying climate change and sustainable cities and sustainability plans, but I somehow made it through those six years without ever learning about the soil <laughs> so specifically so or soil health. So I knew nothing about it and I wasn't particularly a gardener. So like nada. And so um, I was at this in-between stage where I had just graduated and I had learned, of course, about all things about climate change and um, ocean acidification I had learned about. So I had learned about the oceans and sort of the atmosphere, um, but the soil was this big kind of blind spot. And I, I stumbled into this group of volunteers. I was living in Venice, California, and a friend recommended it to me. And I thought it was about urban gardening because I thought I was looking for a job in uh, urban planning Mm, climate change something at the time. You know, I thought that I was going to be like a person who works in cities who helps help change the built environment to fight climate change. And um, which is such a funny memory of like, that's what I thought I was going to do. And then I stumbled. I've had a few of those myself. (laughs) And then I stumbled into this group of volunteers, but very quickly learned about that relationship between soil health and climate change and soil carbon sequestration, which is now a far more mainstream idea. Um, Even though a lot of people still haven't heard about it, it has um, what is now being called the regenerative agriculture movement. And there are lots of different branches and even debates over that that terminology itself. But there is a larger, much larger idea uh, around soil's role in climate change. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think by the time this airs, actually, I don't know which one will come out first, but I just Mm -hmm. interviewed a guy named... uh, Robbie Sansom, mm. and he has a company called Force of Nature. Nice. And they're essentially uh, a regenerative meat distribution company that either get new farmers started in regenerative mm. agriculture or they help existing traditional nice. uh, farmers uh, cross over. You know, Very and cool. it's, yeah, yeah, it's better for the animals, the environment, all that. And I had a really interesting experience. We went out to one of the farms here in Texas. And uh, it's kind of like, he were, it's a network of different small farms, yep. basically, mm-hmm. you know? And so we went out there and they showed us a really, I mean, it was really fascinating because they had taken a former industrial farm and then are in, I don't know what stage of regeneration, but yeah. different fields mm-hmm. had had different time with right. birds and animals and all the things on it, mm-hmm. uh, which was really fascinating to see just the life of the soil and get to touch it and feel it. And then they did a demonstration where they showed sort of three different degrees of soil in these um, plexiglass tubes. Mm. And then, Mm -hmm. uh, or rather, no, rather trays with Mm -hmm. different um, levels of like plant matter, essentially like different soil uh, conditions. Mm -hmm. And then they made a fake little rainstorm on them Mm -hmm. and they showed the water sequestration Mm -hmm. of each type of soil from like, arid desertification factory farm kind of thing all the way to regenerative and it was Mm. like no water came out of the regenerative 
tray. Yep. It was just, uh, it was so cool. I'm just a visual person. So it's so neat to actually see mm-hmm. and just see the the welfare of the animals and the land. I was like, oh my God, can you imagine the world if right. this was ubiquitous? So. Right. That's where we're headed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, one can hope. The funny thing about it is it's so much more profitable too. Mm-hmm. Even yeah. even if you have a farmer that gives yeah. two shits about the environment and just wants to feed their family, yeah. they make way more money. Yeah. Yeah. But that's just- For that, longer. That generationally. Yeah. Absolutely. It's crazy. And it's, it's an investment also, a, a long-term investment. But that wasn't clear for a long time because also yeah. there uh, are big forces that don't want to see things that way necessarily. So the storytelling has been a really interesting part of it where it's like, how do we get the word out that there are these farms that are way more profitable um, when that's not what the larger narrative is saying? And they're saying that yeah. we need to deplete the soil to feed the world, which makes no sense because I think it was somebody, somebody said famously that um, you can't feed the world with dead soil. It's pretty straightforward. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you refute that? Well, you, you and you used to do work with uh, with Ryland mm-hmm. from yeah. uh, Kiss the Ground, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. He's been on the show as well. We'll, we'll link to that one in the oh, show notes. Yeah. I've done actually, now that I think about it, Zach Bush and mm-hmm. a number of other episodes around right. this topic. Oh, beautiful. And it's not even something I'm that knowledgeable about. It's mm-hmm. just, it just makes common sense. Yeah. Yep. Right. And it's like, what, what's the, what are the big needle movers? And those are right. the things that in terms of social ills and things that I like to focus on. There are so mm-hmm. many nuanced kind of causes one could get behind. But for me, I'm always just going back to like, hmm, Mother Earth <laughs> is, is the soil. Like as yeah. you so yeah. eloquently point out numerous times in your books, mm-hmm. the the um, fertility of right. life itself is underneath our feet. So exactly. yeah, I always keep getting drawn back to that. Mm. And I just love playing in the dirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one thing that you touch on a little bit, you don't get too science geeky in your Mm -hmm. book, but I have a feeling that you probably would know a little more because outside of the scope of your book, but Mm -hmm. tell us about the role that fungi has in the soil, the Mm -hmm. mycelial networks and all this. I find that to be so fascinating. Well, there's more and more. I I love Paul Stamets for this, obviously, where he's like, um, there's sentient edge runners and that they know when we're stepping on that, you know, they know that they can sense our presence, which makes complete sense in the context of plant medicine as well. That all kind of wraps around. But um, just from a basic sense, I didn't know anything about mycorrhizal fungi. So um, where I always thought from like elementary school and um, I'm sort of holding up my hands as I describe this, there's like the soil line and your roots that, um, that the roots were the things that were interacting with the soil itself and pulling up nutrients, et cetera. And actually, um, I discovered there's all kind of microbial life down in the soil, which I didn't know in 2013, and including the worms and like nematodes and all this other stuff. And then um, this fungus, basically. And it this, the mycorrhizal fungi, becomes a middleman. So it helps these kind of more little uh, roots interact with the soil. And so it's actually necessary for the plant to interact with the soil. And it helps with this, um, the carbon cycle, the carbon pump where the uh, plant itself brings the carbon down. And then I say it like inhales or eats the carbon and then poops it out (laughs) in kindergarten terms. Um, And so that microscopic life in the soil is essential to life. And that's the part that... um, isn't hard to figure out that many gardeners know once you know it, you can't unknow it, but that a lot of us are walking around actually have no idea, like myself and, you know, in my early thirties, like somehow I had lived my entire life and had no idea until I bumped into this thing. And now I'm actually so grateful that, uh, this, whether it's the regenerative ag movement or all of the other pieces and parts and players that are coming together to help tell this story that really ultimately gets back to mother nature.
Listeners of this show want to take charge of their health and wellness. They're people who are seeking and striving to do all the right things for the body to give them more energy, better sleep, a healthy immune system, and to improve their personal performance and gain the vitality needed to live longer, better, healthier lives. I don't know about you, but that fits me 100%. Here's the thing, though. It gets confusing out there, right? There's a barrage of bias, misleading, impersonal information that creates a lot of doubt and confusion, which obscures your way forward. There are just so many experts out there, including the ones on this show, that are making universal recommendations without you really knowing what your body needs specifically based on thorough biomarker testing. So as a result, people often lack three important things to help them get a clear picture of what their body looks like on the inside, a clear measure of whether their diet and exercise choices are helping or hurting, and a clear idea of who or what to trust when it comes to health, wellness, and performance guidance. This, my friends, is exactly what Inside Tracker has been designed to solve. They're illuminating your path forward for your personal best. They offer folks like us a clearer picture than we've ever had before of what's going on inside your body. These guys provide an ultra-personalized performance system that analyzes data from your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness tracker to help you optimize your body and reach your health and wellness goals. I just did the testing and uh, it illuminated quite a few surprising facts about what's going on inside this body. It's pretty incredible when you really see in front of you in a concrete way what your body needs. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Using their patented algorithm, they analyze your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on and to offer you science-backed recommendations that are ultra-effective for your diet and lifestyle. So once you've done your testing, Inside Tracker tracks your progress and makes recommendations based on what they find. So if you're ready to stop guessing about your micronutrient, mineral, hormone, and DNA status, Inside Tracker has the solution. And for a limited time, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com/luke and start your journey into quantifying your body's performance. Again, that's insidetracker.com/luke for 25% off. And Allison said on the way out, uh, I said, how was the interview? She said, oh, it was amazing. She mm. said, she likes mushrooms as much as you. <laughs> I was like, it's what type? She goes, hello. You know, so we'll, we'll, we'll get to that later. I just, it's interesting because I don't eat culinary mushrooms. Never mm. liked them. Oh. Probably never will. I just, I don't like the flavor. And mm-hmm. I can eat natto and like other things that other people would find mm-hmm. um, uh, dis, uh, not palatable. But, um, yeah. but. The mushrooms, I mean, psychedelic mushrooms as allies, mm. I just think of them, and not like I do it all the time, but the experiences I've had, uh, especially while in nature, right. have led me to the understanding that they are our friends totally. and allies. So yeah. when it comes to the soil, I, I don't see a big difference between the fungus there right. and the mushrooms in general. They're just such an interesting species. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And and people think they're plants. And that always bugs me. It's like when people pronounce the, you know espresso like as espresso, and you're like, ah, yeah. weird little thing. But people say I do plant medicines like mushrooms. And I'm like, well, no. Mm, that's I not- know, still, I don't. There's not a good word because I use plant medicine pretty widely, and yeah. I, and people would be more specific about it. I feel like it's more accessible, and I do tend to my language that way because I feel yeah. like I'm trying to bring some pretty esoteric topics or sort of nerdy topics or all sorts of topics that people would not necessarily pay any attention to and bring those together. So the only know, word, yeah, I mean, I do too. The only <laughs> word I found, and I don't even know the real definition, so I could totally be wrong, but mm. is entheogen. Entheogen. Yeah. I love right? that. Because yeah. that kind of 
could include a number of different mm-hmm. things and it That's just classifies true. everything that, yeah. you know, gives you an expanded yeah. awareness of consciousness, I guess you could say. Totally. Uh, thank you for that. And <laughs> you relate soil to, uh, to feminine energy mm-hmm. and to sexuality. Mm-hmm. So how would you describe soil as being sexy? What's the correlation? Mm. Well, I do I do tell the same story a lot, but it's the, the simple idea uh, that a lot of people haven't totally put together is that when you plant a seed, you part the soil and then plant the seed inside and then cover the soil and then life gestates for a while. And then at some point life is born. And then of course, after life is born, you know, the thing grows up and then some point dies and goes back to the soil. So it's a metaphor for everything, but that is the mother metaphor. I mean, that is the womb, essentially, that seed gestating in the darkness. And it's the yin, it's the um, darkness where from which life comes. So we tend to honor the sun for being the source of life, which it is, but, and also the darkness is also an incredible source of life, just like the forest floor. So that initial womb metaphor goes along with the sense of that receiving uh, the, the yin again, that's, that's the womb and that's the divine feminine. That's the, that's the essence of receiving where all of nature is giving and receiving. And so where the masculine is that giving energy, the, the soil, the darkness, the womb, the yin, that's all that receiving energy. And so, and that gets, that gets tantric also, you know, and it, it just, it shows up in, um, in yin yang. It shows up in all different cultures. It doesn't belong to any one culture. There's this, always this balance and always this dance in nature and in spirituality. So I was pretty deep into the book before I put all of that together. Like that was not where I started. I, I started in a totally academic space where I thought I was going to be talking about like how much carbon per, you know, however much of soil can we suck into the ground? <laughs> like, and, and then it just unfurled into this, like, as, as the feminine does, it, it, it unfurled itself into this dance. And that's, that's where I got, obviously we can talk a lot more about the different um, threads and through lines where it took me, but that's how it got to me. Have you ever pondered the moon's relationship mm. in that cosmic dance? Yeah. Well, so it is the sun and the moon also, um, same sort of cosmic energies. And the moon, so that that seed metaphor is also the moon metaphor, is also the menstruation metaphor. It's, it's the cycles of nature. And that also links directly back to the carbon cycle, obviously. Everything in nature moves in cycles. And so it is also um, like women, girls, and femmes. It's like that, uh, that, na- that nature of the cyclical menstrual cycle is that connection back to the soil, back to the tending, even giving back. Um, we were talking with Allison about giving menstrual blood back, which is a very witchy, like in some circles, very normal, but <laughs> not everybody is totally into that. Uh, that is the sense, same as compost, that we receive and we give back to the soil. We receive and we give back oh, to the that's soil. Cool. Yeah. yeah, I just thought of that. And I just remembered, as you were talking about the kind of the natural world's parallels mm-hmm. um, energetically, Totally forgot about this, but uh, one of the first times I took ayahuasca, I was outside uh, staring at the moon, yep. and yep. it became so abundantly clear to me that it was the epitome of feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And I just, I never thought about that, yeah. never read it, and I was just yeah. like, that's what feminine energy is. <laughs> and it went on this whole thread because it's like the moon mm-hmm. is up there receiving that mm-hmm. that energy from yeah. the sun, yeah, yeah. and doesn't really ask anything in return. It's just there like receiving and reflecting and then having that, I don't know if it's the magnetic effect on the earth and on living beings on the earth and menstruation and right. all this kind of stuff. It was, God, I wish I could 
kind of remember it or articulate it. I'll have to reflect mm-hmm. on it, but it was a profound moment. Mm-hmm. You know, it gave me a real appreciation for that energy and an understanding of it. Um, yeah. 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 Very interesting. <laughs> uh, so what about growing our own food? You mm. mentioned that you weren't, you know, a big gardener. I've tried it. I had like an urban garden company in LA at one point come out with hydroponic yeah grow uh, trays and yep. the raccoons came and ate it. And I, <laughs> I still screwed it up even with like a, it wasn't even really growing food myself, right? It was yeah. very much babysat and it still mm-hmm. was ultimately a failure. Mm-hmm. Um, have you attempted it yourself? Or, and do you yeah. think that this is a, a way forward in any practical sense for people living mm-hmm. in an urban, suburban, obviously would be more possible in a rural environment, but what do you see right. as far as that goes? Yeah, well, so I've never lived in a place where it would make sense to to fully support myself that way. I think that may be where my life is headed. So that'll be interesting. Um, Alice and I talked a lot about Austin, actually, and I'm like headed back to the woods and something like this back to the land. Largely for that reason, I would like to tend more. I would like to be more active in the thing that I'm actually like, studying, writing about, talking about. Um, I think in, in the way that I write in my book, I, I actually prefer to introduce it really gently and, and let it be this funny thing that happens where the compost, you know, people try the compost and it ends up terrible and all of these things. It, to me, also, the spiritual aspect is just the intentionality. And so, and that's where it really, there's, a, I think, a great divide from the like strictly scientific conversation all the time, where if we're talking about Mother Nature and we're talking about the moon, like I sort of have this imagery of the moon over us now that you've <laughs> brought us there. There might be by the time we're I, done. <laughs> Because I have had that in plant medicine ceremonies as well. And in particular, the first time I sat for ayahuasca really? at the moon. Yeah. And it was wow. like, oh. and it just, she was coming, and I call her she, <laughs> like she was coming up over, um, I was strangely outside. This happens a lot where other people end up inside. I am like dra- drawn, dragged outside pretty much. And I was outside and the moon was rising over, I was at a place where there's a roof and it came and I could, I could like hear her before she came and that, that light was coming up. And, and then she just came up in all of her glory. And before that, one of my first, I wouldn't even call it a plant medicine ceremony, like mushrooms at Burning Man. <laughs> it's like, it was the, it was the moon. I was like, we were winking back and forth. It was like, she was winking at me, like just reminding me. And when I stared at her and the stars were like dangling down in the sky. Right. And I was, I, she, I was like, Oh, Oh, it was a memory. I remember, I, re- I remember this place. I remember this thing. And so there's this, like this cosmic conversation that's happening. And so actually the way I think about that back to growing food is that it's more like that to me. It's much more um, like I, my job is not to run around telling people what the most effective ways to do build your box or whatever it's like this is a this is a cosmic dance and so the best thing to do if it's a few little plants in your little house you know a lot of people over covid when they were inside for especially the first few months um built that tiny garden and started like talking to their plants for the first time and started really interacting and um we were talking about zach bush md i believe in one of the interviews i was hearing with him speaking, it was like, get the people ask him how to do certain things. It's like, get a mint plant because it's really hard to kill. And then instead of pulling the leaf off, just go and bite it straight from the plant and let that thing affect your mouth directly, feel that direct connection and let the plant teach you. And I think that's actually some of the best advice. We're like, we're all trying to look for the books or look for the expert or look for the thing. It's different everywhere you live too. Soil is incredibly particular. And I had never thought of this one, but the way all women are different and the way, um, yeah, just, just the way all women are different, 
uh, I don't know. Do we use the word pussy here? Like, are we? <laughs> you can say pussy all you want. I will give an explicit disclaimer at the beginning. Because <laughs> okay. um, I, um, the book "Pussy: A, Reclama- uh, a Reclamation" by Mama Gina uh, is one of these like light bulb, like life altering books I found. And just using that word, there's a power to it. Um, so uh, we were getting back to eating the leaf, right? And this sort of thing, and and the variety uh, of women, and how every single woman has a different flavor a different aroma a different something that's how the soil is so where we're looking for these kind of cookie cutters like how do you do this thing with the soil like you can't force it it's like a book for dudes like how to turn a woman on and make her come 10 times you know multiple orgasms squirting 10 things in this page like that's not how it works actually that's brilliant you know thinking about that that's a great analogy it's like every woman is so different in the Mm -hmm. way they arrive at arousal and being prepared for intimacy or penetration. And so, I mean, in a classical sense, they're getting ready to take a seed and Mm. hopefully, you know, impregnate and gestate the baby. So it's a very, very wise and interesting correlation between Mm -hmm. the soil. Like every soil has its own unique personality. And Mm -hmm. as you described earlier in its the earlier correlation, like mm-hmm. opening it up and putting the seed in, covering it back up. Right. Yeah. Each soil wants mm-hmm. that done a different mm-hmm. way. That's mm-hmm. very fascinating. Even like wow. tending and stewarding, even like romancing or I don't know if seducing is quite, but maybe sometimes it's sort of like, I think um, vintners, people who do wine, I know you don't drink, but like even, but the, that relationship with the soil and like the flavors, because the flavor uh, of the given soil, wherever it is, even if it's stone, you know, if even it's really rough, it it is in the, the wine itself. So there's a flavor, there's this unro- this aroma that unfurls and generational families. I guess when we get back to food, maybe at smaller scales, scales where there's that generational sort of handing down, it's this, this dance with the soil, this sort of thing. So I think that's why when it's like, where do we start? It's like, well, we're beginners, you know, <laughs> most of us. And so just starting somewhere, starting to, to play with the energy, starting to Invite ourselves and also let it be, let it be messy. Let it be, um, we don't know yet, being okay in the I don't know. And then that's when I feel like the soil and the plants really respond when we're getting back to growing food. Yeah, so true. And you're right that different, I I don't know it to be true with wine. I mean, I'm sure it is. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyone that, you know, enjoys Napa County wine Mm -hmm. or wine Mm -hmm. from Italy or whatever. I never drank wine that way. <laughs> I drink it very fast yeah. and usually directly out of the bottle. But um, yeah, gla- yeah, like why would yeah, you put that, it in a glass? Then you have to refill it so fast, you know? Um, but mm. I used to smoke Cuban cigars. Mm, and, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was just a thing, you know? Dudes mm-hmm. like, oh, Cubans, it's like a status symbol because they're expensive mm-hmm. and rarefied because they're, I guess, technically illegal right. um, here, embargoes and whatnot. But I swear to God, like, there's a massive difference between yeah. a cigar properly grown and processed in Cuba mm. than anywhere else. Yep. And a lot of people that couldn't get a hold of Cubans for whatever reason, no, the Nicaraguans are just as good and from mm. here and there. And I'm like, let me taste it. No, it's not. <laughs> it's just different. You know, so I, I literally, there's not even yeah. a snob. I just wouldn't smoke anything other than mm. Cuban cigars. They just, there's something about them, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, yeah I guess yeah. it's the the soil and the tradition of the way that mm. they're grown and all that. And there, the- there definitely is something too 
yeah. the personality of the soil and what comes out of it. The tending and the the terroir, forgive my terrible friends with the um, the tending, also the love that goes into it and the, those, yeah, those senses of tradition um, where intentionality has gone into it. I know coffee is very similar this way. So you have like coffee sommeliers, you have water sommeliers, you have yeah. any, anything I think like I'm tea. one of those. I mean, yeah. I think I'm a those, water one. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, actually, uh, I don't think I, no, I didn't end up interviewing him, but I met a gentleman God, his name escapes me at the moment, but he's an olive oil mm. uh, expert. Yeah. And so he travels all around the world and finds these little family farms that mm-hmm. make incredible olive oil and yeah. grow olives in their own Magic. way. And mm-hmm. yeah, and he has a monthly service. I'll put in the show notes. I don't remember the name, but for a while they were sending me these boxes every month. And I'm just mm. like, who can eat this much olive oil? <laughs> I was a family of one, you know? So I just yeah. had, I started giving them away to friends and stuff. But these oils were like, each one had its own, such a unique flavor yeah. profile. And they were just incredibly mm. uh, robust and delicious. And that was another another example of that, you know? Yeah. When, when yeah. human beings interact with the soil mm-hmm. in an intentional way, magic happens. Yeah, mother nature. Uh, what about composting? You know, yeah. Alice and I are about to move in this house right. and, um, you know, I want to do things right and mm-hmm. expand <laughs> a little bit. Uh, we're actually going to, yeah. I think, I'm interviewing this guy named Jim from, I think his site's foodforest.com mm-hmm. and they come to your house right. and like, I'm not even going to landscape yet. Mm-hmm. A, because I can't afford it right now. <laughs> Got to work on the inside. But they come to your house yeah. and basically like get rid of all your lawns and all your plants mm-hmm. that don't do anything but look pretty yeah. and just turn your whole freaking property into a food forest. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to do Amazing. that as yeah. best we can. Yeah. Um, but then I'm thinking about all of the food waste that just goes mm-hmm. down the garbage disposal or gets thrown out. So I want to learn if composting is feasible now that oh, yeah. I have a yard and I'm going to be yeah. growing some of our own food. What What are your thoughts on composting? Is that doable? Like what's the yeah. learning curve? Similar. It's very similar where it's like you can do the tiny thing in the city or you can do the whole worm thing if you have space. So it, it feels like where you're headed is maybe giant worm bin, and like maybe even like a compost toilet or something like that. Um, that's another thing that you could have people come out and help with. In fact, your food Forest people probably do that as well. This is, it's really fun that that is a, a business opportunity that's popping up. My friends are starting these businesses because they've oh, cool. been doing it for so long. Um, and same thing, like starting small, starting with something simple. Uh, in many cities, I don't know how Austin works in particular, but there can be compost bins where you literally just like put your stuff, like save it in the freezer, save your cuttings and your food waste in the freezer so it doesn't create any smell or something. My agent does this in New York. And then she just takes it to her farmer's market where uh, where they collect it and she just picks up her food for the next week. And so there's not that many extra, she's not tending to a worm bin, you know, anywhere. And, <laughs> right. she, has, and she has less food waste, you know, less food right. waste rotting in her stuff. And then there's, it's a spectrum. So you can, you can just get, some cities are actually giving out um, compost bins. And so it's like these plastic things that are designed to keep, you know, vermin, what we call vermin out of things like those things would attract and you start messing with it. And there are some, ex- there's like greens and browns and you put them in, in the right proportion. And then you add, you know, a certain amount of like nitrogen, a certain amount of water. But this, again, it's something you can Google. It's specific to where you are. And I really think the essence of it is like, just start playing with it. Like do a tiny bit of research, ask your gardener friends, they'll geek out, ask your geek out friends and they'll get you them. into it. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you're off, off to the races, you know? Yeah. I just like the idea of a, I just, even before I was aware of, I don't know, environmental issues, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
I just don't like wasting anything. <laughs> like every time I emptied the trash at our temporary apartment, I'm just yeah. like, yeah. how do Alice and I create so much freaking garbage? Like yeah. we're two people and I barely mm. eat. I'm like, what is this stuff? Yep. Um, I just don't like wasting time. I don't like wasting anything. True. So the idea of the inedible you know, right, right, uh, right. parts of food just kind of like being thrown in the trash. Yeah. I mean, I guess ultimately it's going back to the earth, but I have seen big compost piles that are steaming, right? Yeah, There's just this yeah. life They're in going, them. Yeah, yeah. And then as they turn into this rich, black, almost, you know, mm. or maybe super dark brown soil, it's just like, oh my God, you can make that? Yeah. It's yeah, it's really something. fascinating. It is that, it's that offering back um, and that that sense that we can put that together. Also on the bigger scale, like that zero waste economy. I mean, that's actually where I started in graduate school, where it was like, this makes no sense. Like there is no waste in nature. There literally is no such thing. So why are we designing a world, an economy where we're creating all of this stuff that then all gets put into what we call landfills or into the ocean or whatever, can't compost. Like we need, um, there's a book called Cradle to Cradle that's really um, famous and it's many years old by now, where it's like, we literally need an economy where we redesign all of this stuff to make it able to go back into uh, the earth without creating a bunch of toxic BS where we, and then we can no longer like drink the water or go in the ocean or things like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah no kidding. <laughs> it's funny when I walk in a store uh, like a Target or Walmart or something like that. I walk in and I literally just see a landfill. I know, me too. <laughs> you know, it just like, me out. This yep. is literally all Stress. garbage, especially stuff yeah. that's made cheaply. I and I think that's my waste Astounding. aversion is yeah. I'm someone, I'm not trying to be a big shot at all, but I'll usually buy like the most expensive thing of a thing because mm -hmm, I just mm -hmm. want it to last. I just, mm. I don't like inferior products. It just bothers me. They're yeah. inefficient yeah. and wasteful. But when you want to save a couple bucks or you don't have the money right, and right, sometimes right, right. I don't, and I have to buy the cheaper thing. I'm like, okay, this thing has a X amount of months or year shelf life. It's going to go in the garbage. It's going to end up in a landfill mm -hmm. and it's probably not compostable. Not or even biodegradable. Like super toxic, it was toxic the way it yeah. was made. I mean, that is where I feel like the regenerative agriculture movement is headed uh, or has been working on where these companies and it's still a challenge because it also can raise the cost you know and then there's there's obviously a large conversation there but at least on some level it's it's a beginning of going through the entire product and the life cycle so it's like where um so this thing the shirt that i'm wearing where were the plants grown you know where was the stuff sourced how was it sourced what kind of soil did it come from there all the way into the the use of the thing and then is it compostable back on the other end like packaging lots of uh, products that are coming out as like now actually i think regenerative what we what we're, air quotes we'll call it regenerative what consumers are demanding in those terms um or consumers are outpacing actual the amount of of products that there are yet because it takes a lot to redesign this whole thing and to not get crushed by waste capitalism you know right so that's that's what's being worked on right now God, by a lot so, of my friends it's so <laughs> nuanced you know because i'm someone who I just value my God-given right for freedom and mm. capitalism and it's with all of its faults mm. seems to be the best thing we've been able to test. You know, I mean, egalitarianism, <laughs> right, I'm sure right. would be great. There's other ways that I think we'll move toward mm. as a species, but I'm not for more government and right, bigger government right. and regulation. So say I'm, you know, mm. a major shareholder at DuPont, like a very yeah. evil company. Um, I'm going to be incentivized by profit 
Mm-hmm. I mean, not me, but let's just say an arbitrary <laughs> me that doesn't care about things much except money. Yeah. But I'm going to be incentivized by profit and I'm not going to want government regulation and government mm-hmm. regulation isn't really fair to me mm-hmm. as the shareholder at DuPont. Don't tell me I can't make plastic mm-hmm. and pesticides and things, right? Like it's, it's a free market mm-hmm. and that's what's enabled Western cultures and places like this to flourish in so mm-hmm. many ways is entrepreneurship and, and that, um, so I think to your point, is it not really in the consumer demand where mm. the answer is an awareness like people like you are bringing to the world? Because then multinational corporation, right. decision makers, shot callers like, well, we don't really want to make it like this, but this is what's hot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Case in point being totally. organic milk in, yep, in yep. Walmart, right? Well, this is what's happening. So it's happening. And, cool. and the organic movement was a big leading edge on that, right? So that that happened and sells a lot. And so there we are. Um, but that now there's another movement. There are many, there are many things coming in, growing in behind, which is incredible. Now we're looking at the regenerative nature of uh, organizations themselves, of businesses themselves. Like if the whole model is extractive, we're extracting from humans as well. And so how, how does that get done? And that's getting woven into these companies that are changing their ways. Like big companies are coming in vans and all these things because the word regeneration has gotten hot. And then there's an interest, there's a huge piece that um, comes all the way back around to we're talking about this uh, regenerative word or whatever that is now marketable. That is now, you know, there's a great thing to that. And then it's like, wait a second. Indigenous peoples for all of time have always been talking about a mother earth and this this way of being with the earth, ways of tending to the earth, um, this entire like, I, I don't I can't characterize it myself, but this this way of working with, you know, rather than extracting from. And so that is coming all the way around. So we're having many conversations at the same time because this awareness in so many different places on different levels is popping up. And so it's not just an economic conversation. It's not just a it's certainly I don't think it's a political conversation in the sense of like left versus right, because I think they're both outdated by now. <laughs> And I, I really, I don't think like more capitalism or more government, we're not going to get anywhere that way. There's, there's a lot more to this story. And so I think that finally, even though it's been bumpy, um, the interweaving of all of these different pieces is coming together. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's very complex, yeah, it does. but yeah, so is nature <laughs> and very simple. It's also, yeah. it's exciting, you know, with so exciting. the yeah the doom and gloom that is always available for us to observe and be terrified by. It's, it's also encouraging to know that in the midst of all that noise, that mm. there are people helping to make progress in a way that mm. is heart centered, but also logical, right? Yeah. I mean, you more have and more. Great minds and great hearts mm-hmm. combining, right? Because mm-hmm. like the left and right thing, I mean, I always think of left and right politically as, and I agree, it's it's kind of two masks on the same face mm-hmm. at the highest level, right? <laughs> yeah. So it doesn't really matter what mm-hmm. really changes ultimately um, right. with ever, you know, who's ever in, supposedly in charge. But it's that you have kind of your more linear logical people that are making decisions based on fact, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have people that are more emotionally heart-centered that are mm-hmm. making decisions based on feeling. And when things in general in whatever sector of life kind of lean one way or the other, it, it gets out of balance. And I think mm. something you really talk a lot about in your book in a roundabout way at times is that <laughs> is that need for, for yeah. balance. And mm. specifically as the feminine energy has been so discounted yeah. uh, for so long that you have a lot of the problems that you have. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but before we go there, um, I'm, I'm going to get curious here for a minute mm. and 
I don't know exactly how to frame this, but as someone who feels deeply connected to nature, I mean, it's one of the reasons I moved here. I just want to be further from a city and I live even further out from where we are right now. Um, I've always loved nature, animals, since I was a little kid. I mean, my favorite thing always has been to be in nature. Uh, I've never littered. I recycle. I mean, I get pissed off when I see someone else littering. I am not a fan of toxins in our environment. Like I really deeply care. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, when it comes to environmental ism, Mm -hmm. I have a hard time with a lot of it because I see when I'm talking about the social action part of it, not just Mm -hmm. an individual like my behavior, but it's like there are a lot of well-meaning people, but there are seeming so many blind spots and kind of hypocrisy to that. So I wanted to get your take on a couple of these because I think the work you're doing is so important in this realm and I get stuck on some of them. (laughs) And when I hear about things like global warming and climate Mm -hmm. change and things like that, there's a number of things that come up, one of which being, which I think this just <laughs> ruined me on a lot of it, was this movie I watched years ago, a documentary called The Great Global Warming Conspiracy. Mm. Or yeah, I think, no, The Great, oh, Swindle. The Great okay. Global Warming Swindle. Yeah. And I didn't know it. I was like, global warming, that sucks. There was, right, you know, right. Al Gore and all this stuff about it. I thought, well, I'm going to learn about this. And mm. yeah, Swindle, what do you mean? It's on the news. And the movie is basically all of these physicists and scientists showing um, ice core drillings going back you know, eons Mm. that the earth has been way hotter than this for many cycles before. Mm. And it's nothing new and it's not caused by cow farts or (laughs) too many cars. And it's very compelling. I mean, it's not like some right-wing extremists like denying climate change or something. I mean, it was accredited, highly intellectual, valid people. And I thought, Mm. well, why are, then why is there this sort of politicized push Mm. for this if that's not really what's going on? Um, And also kind of every, I'm 50 now, so I've been around for a few decades and every five or 10 years, there's like an extinction event. The oceans Mm -hmm. are going to rise and this is going to happen. Ice Mm -hmm. is going to melt, et cetera. Then it doesn't really pan out. Then another one comes later. Um, And I think also the kind of a lot of well-meaning grassroots organizations seem to be then co-opted by corporations that I don't trust. Mm -hmm. Um, Like someone like Al Gore, we find out he's got investments in oil companies, Mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, really? Mm. Uh, You know, environmentalists flying around in private jets, you know, like all of that stuff. Um, And more than anything, this is the one that really gets me. And you might not even be aware of this yourself because many people aren't, but Mm -hmm. something that's very rarely talked about outside of super nutty conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. people that are so called that is, the issues with geoengineering mm-hmm. um, in the form of chemtrails mm-hmm. and also the ubiquitous radiation in our environment that right. is probably poised to eliminate the bees at some point. If we don't have bees, then we don't have food, then we don't have people or mm-hmm. anyone else. So there's kind of all of this, to me, low-hanging fruit that is not being talked about mm-hmm. or where these government agencies are, their solution is taxing carbon producing mm-hmm. businesses, right? More right, taxation. Right. I'm like, huh, there's a financial incentive there from the mm-hmm. highest level. Mm-hmm. And then there's um, an, uh, complete ignorance of main offending countries like China or India, for mm-hmm. example, yeah. because that would be racist or something. I don't know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, I always get stuck on it. And I'm just like, I don't think I'm into environmentalism. Yeah. I think I just right. really love Mother Earth, but I'm sort of confused about what my position is because yeah. the waters are so murky right. in terms of who's doing what and why and who's kind of controlling the narrative. So I know that was yeah. a really long 
<laughs> probably so something you can't even respond to in a, in a logical way, but. I've been into making superfood and super herb smoothies and elixirs for many, many years. And one thing that's always been a bit problematic about it was sourcing the individual ingredients and making sure that they're of the highest quality and then putting them together in one drink that doesn't taste disgusting. It's been a lot of years that I've been working on this and I don't think I've perfected it. So I was extremely ecstatic when I connected with this brand called Earth Echo Foods and a product they make called Cacao Bliss. Because what they've done is taken some of my favorite superfoods and put it in a pre-made powder that I can simply mix or add into any other drink. So in this powder, we of course have raw cacao, that supports your body's natural ability to regulate blood sugar, also keeps you satiated and reduces the number of carbohydrates you absorb. Turmeric, which we know fights inflammation related to physical exercise, improves digestion, provides pain relief, dissolves stubborn fat, and even soothes anxiety and stress. Then black pepper to maximize your results by increasing the bioavailability of the turmeric by up to 2,000%. And we've got MCT powder to help you feel satiated longer with those healthy fats, making it easier for your body to release stubborn fat deposits. Cinnamon to further improve your body's ability to digest glucose and reduce your desire for sugary sweets, which I have a lot of. Then we've got monk fruit, which satisfies your sweet tooth as well as sugar with zero calories and no ill effect on your blood sugar. Coconut nectar that acts as a prebiotic and feeds the healthy gut bacteria in your lower intestine. Then we've got lacuma, which adds a delicious caramel-like flavor and also adds a wound-healing property to the drink. Then they've included some mesquite, a sweet and nutty superfood that doesn't cause blood sugar spikes and helps to boost your immune system. And finally, last but not least, some Himalayan salt, which adds to the flavor profile and also contains over 84 minerals and trace elements while helping to balance your pH levels. So this drink is incredible. It's really good for you. It tastes delicious. It's like candy without the candy. If you're ready to check it out, which I hope you are, here's what you do. Go to earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. That's E-A-R-T-H-E-C-H-O-F-O-O-D-S. earthechofoods.com slash lukestory. The code there for your Cacao Bliss is Luke15, and that saves you 15% off. So you're looking for Cacao Bliss at earthechofoods.com slash LukeStory. Yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because it's yeah. like a lot of times when I hear the perspective of environmentalists, I'm just like, it just rings as kind of bullshit. Right, right. You know, yeah. yet here I am really caring. So what does one do? So I wondered if you have any kind of response to that. Like, yeah. <laughs> what's your perspective on that? Like, are we just totally lost? Are there too many yeah. cooks in the kitchen? Like what is, what is <laughs> happening with this? Where, where do we find the truth about what's actually happening? Right. That's an amazing question, but that might be the best question anybody's asked me. This is the way, <laughs> this is what happens when I sit down to meditate, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, question. wait, global warming, <laughs> we've been warmer before, you know, and then another one is like, yeah, we need plants, right? Whether you're a vegan or you eat animals, yeah. like we need plants. Plants eat carbon. So I'm like, why are we trying to get rid of carbon? But again, I exactly. I don't understand the science okay, at all. So I'll see. I mean, there's so many pieces. Um, and feel free I'll to see where, discard think, or pick apart any of them. I just think my answer is going to go all over the place. Just the just same. Like we'll just see what happens. Um, one thing for me, the book is fascinating because, because a book takes so long to write. And once it's in print... You can't touch it anymore, which is a wonderful thing. And also there's already, 
I feel like life and my mind is moving so fast and things and my understanding of things keeps changing. So there's stuff in there that I wouldn't have written the same way anymore, which is interesting. Um, and my um, I, even my political evolution, the way I thought I thought for a long time, um, is evolving because, I mean, look at what's happened in the last year and a half, right? There's the speed of things changing and this unfurlment again of all kinds of new information and new perspectives and a break apart of, of the categories that we were putting things into before. Um, and I have felt right about things for, you know, <laughs> as we all do. Of course. So, you can't be right because I'm right. Clearly I'm correct. So, yeah. um, and so what I think is, is you're, you're speaking into something that is similar to this conversation around the word regenerative and the, cause it's a hot inside of that conversation is a lot of debate about what it is, where it came from, what are its roots? Is it, is it appropriate? Is it good? Is it useful? You know, all of these things. And it's all moving at the same time. I think the, the underlying, the bottom thing is actually what you came all the way back to, which is mother earth. This is really simple. And I think plant medicine is actually, or entheogenic medicine or whatever you want to call it, is actually the key to that because um, when you know, you're talking about heart-based and rational, where we're getting this pop in uh, in Silicon Valley, you know, of use of plant medicine, microdosing, things like this, I think shifting, it's shifting things. Um, also within like these categories of left and right, and then and then when you get into spirituality and non-duality, this is what I've been reflecting on just for the last week, you know, and I finished writing this last year. <laughs> so um, sort of, I had this weird theory just yesterday, I think, that was like, what if the left and right in the U.S. is the sort of what it was baked into the foundation? And this is just a, I don't, it's not fully baked, but what if it was baked into the foundation of the U.S. as a kind of teaching from a spiritual perspective as, as a teaching mechanism of balance somehow. Because I started to see things like uh, if if the conversation tips too far, which I thought I was always like fighting for <laughs> for many years, um, then then really I have seen power get corrupted or things, you know, things come unfurled where I'm like, whoa, that thing I thought was awesome, I don't actually think is so awesome anymore. Or this perspective actually makes more sense now, even on climate change things, you know. Um, Maybe that's that from a spiritual perspective. And then there was something, oh, even the words climate change, I realize, are um, are challenging, maybe even problematic. Like some people don't believe in that wording of global warming. There's a whole, there's so much stuff around it. Again, I try to simplify to like use things that enough people can can at least understand what it is in a basic way and try to like simplify those definitions. Um but what I came to in just grappling with the the notion of climate change and the like debate around it or whatever that is, when I looked at like the the sixth mass mass extinction or whatever, we do have biodiversity loss. Like that's totally happening. Um, the bees, you know, these sorts of things. What are the things like um, the shells of of small uh, shelled animals in the ocean being dissolving? You know, <laughs> because it's parasitic. Like really simple things that we can that we can that are verifiable. Yeah, we can yeah. easily verifiable. Not yeah. even. Out, out there in any way and you don't have to like be pro-science or again, whatever the hell against science or whatever this is um, that, I, that <laughs> oh, gosh, I, like, I know it's really something Fo follow the I, science is like my <laughs> we're like ah yeah. yeah follow the science is my favorite new like cultural meme like because mm. it's usually said by people who aren't actually following the well, there's, science there's, yeah, but anyway is, I digress Go I on. mean there's there's so much up obviously like yeah. real time this moment about that but 
But that to me, I was like, okay, what my take on that, if I stand back, and I again, I would phrase it differently in the book now if I wrote it now, um, is that clearly like the earth is telling us something. Something is happening right now. And, and I actually, I personally don't believe that it's just like, oh, it just happens on its own. It's a cycle that happens without us. And like nothing happens without us because there is this intentionality of humans and the earth. And so when we're consistently acting without intentionality, which is what we're describing about the plastics and the poison in the, I mean, the poison in the water, I would listen to your Aaron Brockovich interview. Oh my God. It's so verifiable. It's like, come on, you know, and it's insane. (laughs) And so it's like that, it's like, okay, we, whatever our political views, we get to take responsibility for that. You know, poisoning our own food and water is not a good idea. Whatever, there's no other way to slice it. So this, it's like, okay, if we just get all of these categories out of the way and stop arguing about it, what's in there? And I feel like there's this deeper spiritual truth that's actually very simple. It's like humans stewarding with the earth and this relationship between if we if we care for and tend to the earth, the beauty of the food and the thing, I'm not going to call them products, you know, the, the, the things that we get to enjoy, the expression of mother nature, like she loves that in, in my view. She loves for us to have beautiful cigars. <laughs> <It's> great. <laughs> you know, like, great and maybe great wine, you know, and great sex. Like to me, yeah. that is the nature of creative expression of the creative life force of the universe. And that's the only thing that's actually going on. And, and I think if we, argue too much about the details, that's where we get lost. That's, you know, and I've, I'm totally guilty of it myself, even though I don't believe in guilt. That's another one. <laughs> words, it's like being intentional about our words too. How are we framing exactly like the climate change conversation or global warming or arguing about this? It's like, okay, how can we, the real question is how do we shift to be in right relationship with all right, of it, all right. of it. And I think that's what's happening through all this crumbling and this sort of shape-shifting that's going on. I think, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you for that. That's so eloquent and perfect. Yeah, I think, I don't know, within the, um, what's the word, somatics? Is Mm -hmm. that the language thing, right? Yeah. With with all the different terminology and things like Mm -hmm. that, um, humans have such a propensity to get ego identified with what they believe to be true and right. Right. And so when one person says, it's global warming that's going to kill us. And I think like, I don't know, have you seen the ice core drillings? Then I think right. I'm right. that, right, right. <laughs> And now I'm like a climate change denier right. or whatever. I'm like, no, I love nature. Like I lay on the ground freaking naked. I'm a freak, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know any, I mean, I know people that love nature as much as me, but I'm very mm. devoted. Um, mm. But I think you're right. It's, you know, when you, when you were speaking, I thought of indigenous cultures and mm. I've not spent time around unindulterated, uninterrupted indigenous cultures, but just based on, you know, what little historical uh, knowledge I have, I at least picture and assume that there has, for the most part, always been a symbiotic relationship with the land. I mean, maybe pre-agriculture, right? And now what's kind of sad about that is that with the imperialism from (laughs) the powers that be that figured out how to make guns a while back Mm -hmm. and went into all of these different places, India, the Amazon, wherever, Africa, uh, and said, we want your resources. We are Mm -hmm. more powerful and we have guns. In those countries now, they're some of the biggest polluters, right? Because Mm -hmm. they've been subjugated and, uh, you know, put off of their farmlands and things like that, right? They've been relocated and speaking uh, here, Native Americans, right? That I think of as having such a beautiful relationship with creation. Mm -hmm. And it's so interesting that the kind of the repercussions of that 
are as such, right? It's like, yeah. you know, you go to what they call a third world country and you find so much pollution and dirty rivers and, you know, things like you go to Costa Rica in some places and there's just like garbage flowing down all these rivers into the ocean. But those are the people that probably had it right, you know, mostly in the first place <laughs> well, yeah, could, until they were sort of overtaken. So it's just, it's really yeah. interesting. And it, and again, like, so what's the solution? It's mm. how do we get back into relationship with what we are, which is we are the planet mm-hmm. as much as and a fish or a plant or anything. I would say also getting getting back into right relationship with all of the indigenous people who are alive now and, and speaking this truth. I think there is a lot um, from from people who I've heard speaking about it, it's like indigenous people, for for example, saying, um, you know, we, and I really want to be careful not to try to speak for anybody else. And, yeah. um, and so being like, we have not always necessarily been this way, you know, not to like over-spiritualize um, or over- put people on a pedestal or want to move backwards in time or whatever, but just that like they're, they're older cultures. And so th- they have been through cycles of war and destruction and all of these other things. And, and ultimately it is, it can be said in many different ways, but it's said very similarly around the world um, that th- this ego thing, basically one, one way or another, whatever you call it, when the ego takes over uh, it, its thing is to divide and separate. Its thing is to believe uh, in separation and to insist upon it, you know, when the soul is like, wait, we are one. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah. no. And yeah, so, like, yeah. I, I feel like actually all of the, the concept of private property where the, the belief that, and this is an interesting one politically, but um, from a fundamental, like, even fundamental is a challenging <laughs> word to use, but... Um, I don't believe that people or land can be owned, actually. I personally don't believe that. And I feel like that is in the wisdom of the earth itself. And I realize that makes everything we do highly problematic, (laughs) like everything. And so it's not just these countries or those countries or this history or that history or these people were bad and did this. It's like the whole thing to me is the ego run amok and the the, spiritual return is all of us remembering that one way or whatever, whatever thread we come through. Um, and I came through academic academia, went to soil, you know, went to what I thought was regenerative ag, which I'm realized, which took me to realize this like indigenous story from all over the world of the great mother, which I had no idea about you know, five years prior. Um, to plant me- plant medicine, you know, and the goddess thing. And it's, I'm like, oh, it's all, it's all in here. And the lesson that I'm learning internally in my own healing journey is the same. They meet, they actually meet rationally and they meet uh, internally where it's like, I believe in unity consciousness. I believe that we are in fact all one and we are in a great remembering. And so all of this wackiness is that process. <laughs> and it's all really interacting with the ego. So the ego is just really tricky and slippery and fast. And we'll be like, Nurr. like, uh, this is a this is a country. It's like, do countries really exist? Like we got, you know, it's like this is a hand. I'm like, do hands really exist? Like what you it gets all the way down in there, which is a wacky conversation. I mean, there's just it's endless as we know, but I wow. feel like your mind works similarly. Oh in that my sense. God. Yeah, <laughs> so like, totally. I mean, that's why <laughs> in your book, I related to so much of it. Mm. Um, yet there were things and I'm going to cover some more of them, but you know, mm. I think the first hurdle for me is like, what, what is environmentalism and mm. how does an individual actually do that? Right. Without mm. vilifying and getting caught up in the ego story yeah, of it. Yeah, right. Yeah, that I'm yeah. I'm right. Right. right you're right. wrong kind of thing. I personally, I don't think I, in- I don't believe in environmentalism, air quotes, uh, 
anymore. I, and, and even when I was in graduate school, we were pulling apart in an academic way the problems of the sense of environmentalism. And one of the basic ones is still like a, a, a colonizer kind of thing where it's like somehow we are separate from nature. It's the only way private property could exist is if we're separate, if we're separate from nature. Yeah, yeah. Um, and all of that doesn't fit, actually. All of that is out of uh, alignment. The dominionistic approach mm-hmm. that humans have adopted in that we are higher than God and in control of mm. our surroundings. Right? Higher than but I, separate I, I, from. Yeah. One of my favorite uh, things that you said just now was that you don't believe that it's possible to own land. And I don't actually, now that you say that, think that it's possible to really own anything, even your name. Totally. Like you don't, how do you own a Even name? Even your body. We give it back. We give yeah. it back. It's like it's like on loan in yeah. Western terms. We're leasing it. Hopefully we're a long just, lease. Yeah. <laughs> but we're just we're just in it. You know, we are of the flow. We are an expression. Like just, well, that's not a real plant, but even that, even don't tell anyone. There's no, but there's even there's no real or not. It's this an is, expression. This is toxic plastic that somebody's <laughs> going to end up in a freaking landfill. But even this, like it, it is an, it's, it's an artistic expression. It has a creative, it's part of, it's a fractal. You it know? looks better than this, just the stuff. <laughs> uh, let's see. So you also talked about how, you think plant medicines mm. could or are playing an integral part of our reconnecting to the nature of the planet itself, to one another, to ourselves. And I've every time I have one of these experiences, I'm like, how can we put this in the water supply in right. Washington, D.C.? <laughs> in fact, I posted a meme the other day that's a helicopter like dumping all this dust. It's probably like a pesticide helicopter. And then in the dust, it says DMT. <laughs> and, I was like, and then something about like on our way to D.C. I was like, please, God, help us, you know. But uh, I mean, realistically, I, I've seen this just blow up, especially being here in Austin. I mean, there's mm-hmm. ceremonies going on all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't usually participate in them because, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to all the time. But uh, I think there is a huge awakening happening. And I think a lot of it is due to some of the clinical use and the mm-hmm. deregulation on the yeah. medical yep. psychiatric side and some of it on the rekindling of these shamanic traditions mm-hmm. and sort of uh, plant medicine tourism and things that are going on like that. Mm-hmm. So what's your experience of it and where do you see it going? Am I naive and overly hopeful that this is going to save us? Cause so many <laughs> well, people are going to wake up. I, I I'm pretty sure that's the way it works. Like I, cause I'm like mother nature's in charge. She is everything. So of course on some level, I, I actually don't think we can destroy ourselves in the way that we're believing that we can, if that makes sense. And even that I wrote differently in the book, you know, and that wasn't that long ago. Um, Shout out to Rick Doblin and the and the maps, everything, uh, the MDMA trials and everything like this, because I think the again the uh, the suppression of plant medicine, the oppression on top of it, and the fear based story that got built into it is like that's why I feel like so many people have been afraid of it, whether whatever expression or medicine that it is, um, and that is tied directly into like colonial oppression, genocide, all of these things. It's it's all tied together. Yeah. Um, and still like, it's not that she's smarter than us. Like she is us in everything else. <laughs> we can't outsmart her, you know? And so I think to me, when I first saw this upwelling of, of medicine showing up in kind of like more Western places and parts of my life, you know, 
conferences and things with people talking about it, I was like, my read was, in my sense, was like, oh, and I was really into the divine feminine specifically at that moment. And it was like people going to the medicine because they were going through a hard divorce or people going to the medicine for all of these reasons that had nothing to do with being earth warriors or whatever we call it. And, and then, and having this incredible awakening and then changing their business, you know, or making different, uh, different donations or changing their lives. You know, people, I have seen people completely quit their like startup lives and be like, I am committed to the mother, you know, and do and get in there. And um, so I think I actually, I feel that that is where it's headed. If I were to take a guess, I feel like that's it. Yeah. I would agree. And it's hard to be objective about it, of course, because we're either in the beginning or the middle of it, wherever we are in a linear sense. And when you have your own subjective experiences like that, they can be so earth shattering and so expansive mm-hmm. that I think we, at least speaking for myself, I think I project that onto everyone. Like, right. well, everyone's going to have the kind of awakening that I just had and are going to sort out their relationships and able to find forgiveness and self-love and heal mm-hmm. trauma and all of the things that are possible um, in some of those um circumstances. So it's hard to say, but I do, even if I step back and just let go of my own personal relationship to those experiences and how they've impacted me so positively, Mm. I get a sense that this is the thing that's going to take us there. Mm -hmm. I really do. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to stay asleep if you go do five MEODMT. <laughs> I mean, like things are just not the yeah, same, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, mm-hmm. and, I, and I know this to be true, not only for myself, but so many other people um, mm-hmm. in my life that not, not even like committed cosmonauts, but just people that have done even ketamine therapy oh, and yeah, things like yeah. that. It's just, they're markedly different people mm-hmm. post experience. And therefore, as you indicated so brilliantly, their mm-hmm. decisions are now different because they've had a existential um, change in their nature and their character, right? So every thought, word, deed is going to carry forth from a different perspective because of that Mm -hmm. internal alignment. Yeah, it's so yeah. Ex- it's exciting. It is. It's also I'm also running into the like the the not at all people, <laughs> you know. There's the, and it's just from where I grew, I grew up around DC, right? So perfect yeah, example. Probably not a lot yeah. of ayahuasca <laughs> ceremonies around DC at the moment. So not, no. You should start How some I know. legally, of course. Well, this is that's actually where my mind went when you were saying this uh, was that it's like in the federal government you're not allowed to do anything. I, I believe, and I remember friends applying into like the CIA or applying into whatever. And they would ask and it would be, it was serious business. Like if you had ever touched weed, if you had ever done anything um, other than drinking, which is so, you know, (laughs) so ironic. And um, so, yes, there are huge parts of what I would call Western culture that are still like literally not allowed or absolutely terrified or against, like, like morally against. And so that's an interesting juncture where my doorway was yoga. You know, I was stressed out. I think that's the the main entry point where people just, it's the healing entry point. Like you, you get to a point where there's too much pain from something and then you enter into something to take care of yourself. And I went into yoga and then I went into um, craniosacral therapy and learned about energy work there. And it was hugely frowned upon in the culture I grew up in and in academia. Um, and so bumped into all of those things and eventually just the, the medicine from whatever form, whether it be breath or whatever, kept working on me and kept insofar as there is a me, right? And so kept, kept going. 
And I just kept becoming more and more committed to it and more and more unwilling to succumb to the collective around me that was trying to shut it down, which was most of my journey. It was a pretty gnarly, like seven years of, of like a no, no, no coming from most places. And then this like, all of these invitations coming from somewhere else. And when we get into sexuality and all of this too, it's like, ooh, that is some deeply ingrained stuff. And there's, um, we talk about intergenerational trauma healing that's hundreds or thousands of years sometimes. So it's big, you know, it takes, yeah. takes courage. Yeah, it does. It takes courage and an immense amount of curiosity. Yes. <laughs> I think that's my, always Adventure, my question. Yeah. yeah, my question is always fundamentally, is there more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there more? Yeah. Even in an expression of joy or mm. finding a, a a bit of shadow around something that's unhealed, you know, yeah. is there more? What what is that? Let's lean into it, mm. you know. Let's go there. Yeah. So yeah, I think um, I think it's an exciting time. I'm so grateful for people like you and mm. and for this emergence of independent media that I'm participating yeah. in now to have long form conversations and be able to really dive deep. And mm. it's I'm so hopeful because many people. Are along for the ride. I mean, who knew when I started doing this? I thought, I don't know, I'm just going to do this thing, and maybe my friends will listen to it, you know. <laughs> and it's grown, yeah. and it reaches a, a a lot of people, you know. Yeah. So it's, um, I don't know. There's just there's definitely something happening right now um, that's a bit of a renaissance, I think, which is exciting, and that's what I do my best to keep my attention on because at the mm. same time, in the extreme duality that we're experiencing, there's also forces that I I don't believe are benevolent that mm -hmm. are really charging forward mm -hmm. with some with some uh dedication mm -hmm. you know so it's like oh it's so easy to focus on that and yet lose right, track of right. where you're going with this did you know that there is one phase of sleep that almost everyone fails to get enough of and this one phase of sleep is responsible for most of your body's daily rejuvenation repair controlling hunger and weight loss hormones boosting energy and so much more when it comes to living your best life. Now, I am talking, of course, about, drumroll please, deep sleep. If you don't get enough of this sacred deep sleep, you'll probably always struggle with cravings, and slow metabolism, premature aging, etc. And why do you think people generally don't get enough of this deep sleep? The big reason is magnesium deficiency because over 80% of the population is deficient in magnesium has to do with the lack of magnesium in our soil and therefore our food, etc. Magnesium is awesome because it increases GABA, which encourages relaxation on a cellular level, and it's critical for sleep. Magnesium also plays a key role in regulating your body's stress response system. And folks that don't get enough of this magnesium usually have higher anxiety and stress level, which of course negatively impacts your sleep as well. Now, before you go out and buy some crappy magnesium supplement and waste your money, it's really important to understand that most of them out there are either synthetic or they only have one to two forms of magnesium, when in reality, your body needs all seven forms of this essential sleep mineral. That's why I'm stoked always to recommend my friends over at Bioptimizers and their product, Magnesium Breakthrough. If you take magnesium before bed, it helps you relax and wake up refreshed and energized. And I also love that Bioptimizers offers free shipping on select orders. So if you want to check it out, here's what you do. Get over to magbreakthrough.com slash Luke. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-O-G-H, magbreakthrough.com slash Luke. And if you use the code Luke10 over there, you're going to save 10% off. That's magbreakthrough.com slash Luke. 
and the code is LUKE10 to get yourself some super chronic magnesium. Your definition of patriarchy, mm. it's kind of yeah. the uh, antagonist in your story of a book. And it's, it, it's something, I guess yeah. I'm a guy. I don't know if mm-hmm. I'm, yeah. if I'm triggered by it. So therefore I'm like, what, what is that shit? You know, like I'm a nice guy <laughs> yeah. now. I wasn't always, but yeah. getting more kind, I think, and conscious. Mm. Uh, but then at the same time in your book, at one point you kind of frame it as, it's not like, I think when I hear patriarchy, I hear men are bad. And right, I'm like, right, good right, luck, right. ladies. Like right. we need each other, right? right? right. <laughs> we need each other in a yeah. symbiotic, balanced, totally. masculine, feminine yeah. relationship. Um, but in your book, you frame it more like oh, a collective pain body or mm-hmm. a collecto ego identification or dominance or something like that. Yeah. But it seems to come back to kind of like, this is the thing we need to deal with. Mm. So what now, of course, time has passed, as you said, since the book, you know, <laughs> yeah. honestly, if I wrote a book today, which I'm working on, like mm-hmm. in two years, I'll be like, oh my God, it's exactly I've, I've changed. But, I mean, yeah. you know, in your perspective now, like what does, what does that even mean? And, and how are we to um, find an understanding of it and, and a way out of it for both us it. male-bodied people and mm-hmm. otherwise? Yeah. It, and it has, it absolutely has evolved and I can pick up on where it evolves in my own writing, which is really fascinating. I write in this moment, do believe, I believe it's an externalized ego basically. And it's non, it's non-gendered. Uh, and in, I'd say in this like time moment, the way that it has manifested in linear time in the last like 5,000 years has primarily been this like white male conqueror thing. There's a thing, you know? So just to acknowledge that in that sense, like the legacy of violence that's gone behind it, um, that is still very much alive in in all of our bodies, wh- however we have incarnated, um, and and we all have healing to do around it. We're all traumatized by the violence, whatever like side we were on, and I even I believe in reincarnation anyway. So it's we've actually, you know, we're all we all have serious healing to do around this, um, and I don't think it's at all useful to 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 place blame on anybody or any group of people. And and I, I mean, it just doesn't it doesn't even fit into alignment or a paradigm for me. Um, And insofar as it is the, a name for the uh, collective ego, and you're, you just ended the last point on some like potentially nefarious forces (laughs) that are like whatever, however one might identify that. I still think that's the ego on some level. Um, It's an energetic level. And there is a, there is our like internal ego and then there's a collective ego. And I think, I think that what we were just talking about, that balance of plant medicine and the, um, the places, say subcultures like the DC area, you know, or where are people doing lots of plant here, (laughs) 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 wherever, um, where it's way more common and the uh, the conversation is much more, I feel like the, the healing is rippling. It ripples uh, because when I do my healing and then we have these conversations and and we're open and we we have done healing around the words that we're using and and we seek to meet each other that way and we're we're no longer emotionally triggered in the same way because we work through a lot of that stuff. Um, that has a that has a an energetic ripple effect that's incredibly important. And also when the clusters, I'm going to say, of humans that are not doing that work, that are, say, like, sometimes anti, like, really anti, or I would say perpetrators in the sense of, like, um, really, like, pushing back on, say, legalization of plant medicine, for example, or um, 
I mean, I could name all number of horrible things I'm not going to name, but all of that stuff I, I think is still, it's that stuck ego and it's fighting, it's trying. And, and in an individual plant medicine ceremony, it's like that ego kicks, that's what it does. <laughs> I just did a post about it where it's like, that's its job. And like the bigger that spirit kind of bubbles up and rises up, it's like that ego is going to try to find some other way to get in and convince you that you're smaller than you are, that you're not who you think you are, that you're not infinite, that you are separate, that this is all wacky, that you're just on drugs. (laughs) 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 And and like, listen to your parents, you know, whatever, whatever the story is. And it will dress up like anything, especially it'll dress up like things, I think like organized religion, like large institutions. And then there's a, there's an institutional effect. So we're working, we're weaving, we're untangling, I feel like is the work of, of untangling this. And when I call it patriarchy, it's like, it's in us too, right? Even if I catch myself acting out of ego, you know, and I, or I notice it and I, and I draw myself back into alignment, I feel like I can do that gently now. Um, And that's part of the practice. It's like not walking around thinking that I've just, I'm enlightened and, (laughs) and also not letting like the ego pop back in and do that thing where it's like that spiritual ego thing. (laughs) It's like, as soon as you like actually get this big heart opening in this thing, the first thing it does is come in and be like, oh, look at how much more spiritual I am than the other person, which is like still ego, you know, it's, (laughs) I mean, it's that, I feel like that's what we're dealing with in, on the individual and on the collective. So it shows up like an institution. It shows up like something like media. It shows up like something and it's like reinviting ourselves back into that. Oh, that's just the ego. Like, actually, I remember who I am. Actually, I can always come back to this. And actually, I'm always safe too. It doesn't matter how many times I slip back into it and forget. It's all there's always a loving invitation to keep remembering. So, from thank you for that. So, um, <laughs> you just reminded me of a really funny. Like, speaking of spiritual ego, I went to <laughs> India in I think it was 2004 and mm. visited a bunch of ashrams and uh, and all this kind of stuff and. Mm-hmm. Um, when I came back, I think I went there with pure intentions, right? Like mm. I, I wanted a deeper uh, level of spirituality, but my ego adopted this sense of specialness mm-hmm. and uh, kind of vanity around it. So yeah. I came back with the mala beads and was namasteing everyone. And <laughs> yeah. it's, I don't know. It's like, I guess the ego thought that it was better than other people now, or even my other spiritual friends that I had ascended to a different level. Of course, I was totally unconscious of this. And I had um, a mentor at the time and he saw me doing the namastes and like I had changed, you know, and I thought maybe I'm like almost enlightened. Uh, And he was like, man, knock that fucking Indian shit out. He was this old biker guy. He was not having it. And he's like, that's your ego. I'm like, ego, I just went to India to get more spiritual. I totally didn't get it, but I've I've definitely lived that. To the, I want to further unpack this idea of patriarchy a little bit Mm -hmm. because I have a little more clarity about it, but I want to see if I can frame it in a way that makes sense and if this might be kind of what it is. So when you look at, let's say, just egoic dominance or Mm -hmm. the collective pain body, Mm -hmm. uh, the nature of ego in and of itself I think when it's in its most destructive form is rapacious, right? It just Mm -hmm, takes and mm -hmm. takes and it dominates and controls and uses things up and doesn't contribute and doesn't give back. It's like the animal nature. It's a hungry wolf that's just Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. devouring everything. And if you look at the grand scale of colonialism and things like that, this taking of one's resources of another land and overpowering them and subjugating them and taking away their religions and their plant medicines Mm -hmm. and their ceremonies and forcing Christianity on them and all of that ugliness, I can see how that would be 
I don't know, be able to be labeled patriarchy because it's kind of the masculine energy expression of mm-hmm. ego mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where perhaps a feminine, and I'm just riffing here, but mm-hmm. perhaps a feminine energy expression of ego would be one that is self-deprecating mm-hmm. and yielding and people-pleasing and keeps giving and giving and giving, mm-hmm. uh, is acting out of fear mm-hmm. and insecurity and is more on the receiving end and in in embodied in shame mm-hmm. and self-loathing and things like that, right. where it's it's in that, in a fight or flight, it's more in the the fight, I mean, the, the fleeing or the right. freezing mode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sort of like ego as it works through us presents in different ways based mm-hmm. on its need to survive and its right. wholehearted effort to keep us alive yeah. and in our body, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I love my ego. Thank God right. we, we yeah. have one. Exactly. We're, we're, you, you'd be yeah. walking around with soiled underwear all day, you know, <laughs> you'd never shave and God knows what else you'd do. So it kind of keeps you in line, but when mm. we're not aware of it individually and then right. of course, collectively, it takes on these forms. So from the patriarchal side of it, does mm-hmm. that kind of make I think sense so. to you? That it's beautiful. an yeah. expression of a collective ego that is that dominant destructive yeah. force within I, humans? Yes. And I, I think it's important to, there's that thing with like patriarchy, matriarchy, um, and also the toxic masculine. And that's also a, a difficult <laughs> term, term, but um I tend to differentiate what I would call the sacred masculine and the sacred feminine from the toxic masculine, which is also embodied patriarchy to me. It's all essentially the same thing. And that is that exactly. That's the the sort of like the over the taking, the all of the things. And and there is lots of people actually, it, it's it's so triggering. Um, it did come up where it's like the toxic feminine that it's also like manipulation and to some degree like mean girling and things like all of these right, sort of cultural seduction, things. Right? Seduction in, the, in a negative yeah. sense. I think there's yeah, a beautiful. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean more in the yeah. manipulative sense, right? Exactly, right? yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think it's really important to parse all of that out. And I actually probably would devote way more of the book to it if I were to write it again. And it's beautiful that like the way that it came through me this way is like an introduction and Lots of people are interesting, interested in open-heartedly unpacking this, which, which I think is what's really needed. It's like, okay, let's, now that we have some concepts around the masculine and the feminine, if we weren't working with them otherwise, we can be like, okay, not, none of these words are perfect. You know, even like the entire English language has its issues. <laughs> and, and so it's okay, we're working with what we've got. Um, how can we describe ephemeral impossible things the best we can with stuff that kind of makes sense like this and this. So I think to me, patriarchy as a workable term with toxic masculinity is useful and it's, it's, but it's become so triggering now. I think that's, um, we don't have anything better to describe it, but it's really important to unpack it. Yeah. That's why I wanted to do it. Cause yeah. reading your book, I noticed like there would be, I mean, you mentioned reincarnation. Like, mm-hmm. of course, when I look in the mirror, I see a male, but like I have a sense that I've been a lot of things. Yeah, <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm mindful not to become too identified as right. like, oh, I'm a Caucasian guy. And you mm-hmm. know, it's like, no, I'm not. I'm a spirit. I mean, you take a, a good plant medicine ceremony and I think mm-hmm. anyone would realize, oh, I'm not the thing I thought I was at all, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all of that goes away. Um, the more superficial identification that we have. But as I was reading your book, there were times when, or more listening to it, I was like, there she goes with the patriarchy again. I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck, man? Have you seen the suicide rates on men? And, you know, like I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of all this kind of male rights thing. And I'm like, ah, there I go. Like Mm -hmm. keep an open mind here because Mm -hmm. there's, there's, there's more to this, but only if one individual like myself can disidentify from the micro self-identification, you Mm -hmm. know, and in those, what I perceive to be 
nefarious forces at large, there's a lot of kind of Marxist ideas Mm. infiltrating our culture now in (laughs) in the form of cultural Marxism, where we're getting human beings to sub-identify and sub-identify and break down and break down into smaller and smaller groups Mm -hmm. in this really sophisticated divide and conquer to trick people into thinking that they are a man, a woman, this race, that race, et cetera, which of course we are on a superficial level and Mm -hmm. people have their experience of what that is, of course. And, you know, every person's burden is the heaviest, right? Mm -hmm. People do suffer because they're a certain color or a certain gender or sexual preference. Like obviously that goes on. So I'm not uh, suggesting that it's ignored or denied, but there is culturally definitely a push to, as I perceive it, at least, I don't know this to be true, but my perception Mm -hmm. is much more self-identification mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and disunity as a right, result. So right. it's another, you know, like rabbit it's hole. It's tricky, yeah. It's another it's, rabbit yeah. hole that's so nuanced if mm-hmm. you're a kind-hearted, loving right. person and you do yeah. your best to be that way, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't want to denigrate other people's experience. But at the same time, um, I find it more useful for myself. And I think that I make the biggest contribution in the world when I'm able to discount the way I would identify externally and Mm. get into my heart and just be a soul that's here having a human experience. Right. You know, so it was it was interesting for me because I'm like, wait, what about the guys? You know? (laughs) So I'm glad we're able to kind of uh, you know unpack some of that. Because at the same time, I had another realization. (laughs) And that was, I mean, if even if we're looking at like patriarchy in a in a truly traditional way, okay, evil men came and did bad things to women and children when Mm -hmm. they should be protecting them and caring for them Mm -hmm. and have honor and valor and do the Mm -hmm. things that great men do, you know, Mm -hmm. in classical, in a classical sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm a victim of that toxic patriarchy. Like try driving your car down a street with no license plates on it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you get pulled over. Like what system put that in place? I didn't put the road here. Yeah. I'm a living being. Yeah. Moving on this planet that produced me, I'm moving from one place to another and therefore they call it driving Mm -hmm, and some authority, assumed authority figure in the form of a a Mm Renikop with a gun is going to force me to the side of the road and tell me what I can and can't do, right? right? It's like, I'm part of that system. I have a birth certificate. Try not paying taxes, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So it's like that system... It's not like, oh, I'm a white. I mean, I'm sure I've had privilege in my life because I'm white and whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. I've also had horrific trauma and abuse. And maybe it wasn't because I was white, but maybe Mm -hmm. it was. I don't know. Yeah. The guy that molested me, maybe he didn't like, maybe he only liked white boys. And that's why it happened to me. You know, it gets gets crazy, but it's like still all of us, with the exception of very few you know, uh, remote tribes around the world that are hanging on by a thread mm-hmm. have been adopted into a system that we didn't agree to. Right. Like I didn't ask for a birth certificate right. and to get an all capital name called Luke Story that is now a sub corporation that's owned by the corporation of the United States. Right. right. You know, so it's yeah. like we've all been adopted into this thing involuntarily and unknowingly mm-hmm. by our by our ancestors in I guess what you would call Western culture, right? right so right. it's really interesting to kind of yeah. zoom way, way, way out and disidentify from, well, I'm a guy and we have it hard sometimes too, right. <laughs> uh, to like, wait, no, this thing, yeah. this imbalance of energy and this power structure mm-hmm. has also, you know, imprisoned me to right. one right. degree or yeah. another, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm living as kind of a free slave and I'm very grateful for 
Right. Uh, the privilege that I have to be able to be as free as I am and freedom of course is found within, but the system that we're under right now yes. is yeah. ubiquitous and it is all pervasive. Yeah. I so completely agree. It's yeah. a, it's an interesting thing to be in yet mm-hmm. at the same time. And I'm sorry for pontificating no, like this, please. but your book like got me fired up on all these expansive <laughs> thoughts and feelings, yeah. but it's like at the same time, if everything is God, then that system that I'm like, fuck you two mm-hmm. is also God, totally. right? <laughs> the duality yeah. and the control and these yeah. powers that be that came out of, you know, Babylon and then formed the royal families and right. figured out how to create armies and then go take over these other lands mm-hmm. and capture people and all of this stuff. It's like, it's all on purpose. That's how it's supposed to be so that we have the opportunity to grow spiritually and mm-hmm. to earn, I guess, karmic merit, right? Mm-hmm. Because you could join the baddies and, you know, join the Nazi party, or you can, mm-hmm. you know, go save Jews and hide them in your basement, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you, in, in the most horrific of circumstances, each individual embodied soul has choices in every single thought and mm-hmm. word and deed. And if everything was utopia, we would be left without the opportunity to evolve. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. We would live in a celestial realm and just all sit around grooving as <laughs> angels, right? Exactly. So it's, um, I don't even know where I'm going. I'm just, I'm just shooting the shit <laughs> well, with you at this point. That's perfect. I mean, it brings me to this sense of that inhale, exhale of the universe and this idea that whether you call it the yugas or any any number of things in different traditions that we we sort of expand and contract this is actually all that's happening and so there are points where we are the most in in oneness somehow and there are points where we're in furthest separation i my opinion that could always change with more information um, is that we are in a a point of great separation now, if not the furthest point of separation where there is a sort of U-turn, where there is an actual, it's like the pain is so great. And I feel like this system that you're talking about is that it's basically giant prison, you know, it's prison of every kind, physical, like the hardcore, literal, you know, steel and stone to the prison in our minds of all of these sorts of things. So I think there's this beauty of unpacking those nuances that you were just talking about, that entire thing. Like, what about this identity and that? And how do I be present to other humans who have been harmed by these identities and also not fall into the trap of separating everybody out even further and getting even further into it? And again, I think it's all it's all the ego and the ego is also still her, him, whatever, great nature, great spirit. And so... Um, <laughs> that that's the trick is that it's always like I think that's that's how tricky it is right that it's like <laughs> it's like, it is. I mean, there's really like one answer and it's love like that is the ultimate and Thank it doesn't you. mean like bypassing it means yeah. like yeah every single being including you know plastic plant has like is imbued with with love and I mean even even the like dead or alive that I was in a, in a death facing ceremony in the woods in, in Oregon. And it was like, there was a a dead tree, right? The tree was down uh, big redwood and I was able to like run, walk on it. And in the, in the ceremony, I mean, I faced my own death in all of these funny ways, but this, in this moment, I got to, I got to see witness feel the life force energy running through literally everything. And it was showing me that like, oh, there's no, there's no dead tree. It's not a tree and it's not dead, you know, any more than there's a live tree. You know, these are all categories, every single bit of it. And so um, that sort of like, is the love, you know, it, can a fake plant be also love? It's like, of course, it's all love, like literally every, all of it. 
all of it. And that learning part, that's that's so interesting. I just had, what was it? Yeah, it was a big ceremony relatively recently. It sounds like I sit all the time. I don't sit like that often. But um, but that that love running through, it was that. I got to see and feel just, uh, hmm. This is the thing about plant medicine ceremonies. They're hard to describe sometimes in words where it was just that like um, all of that. I got to feel the great whatever, the great oppression, the great separation. And a lot of people recently have been sitting and asking like, why? Why the masks? Why the things? And the answer is always to remember. We forget to remember, you know, <laughs> it's really simple, but it's silly. And one of the answers I got too is we, I was like, why do we incarnate? Like I recently, uh, my cat's passed away and I, I'm not like, I lost my cat. I don't feel like I lost my cat because we transformed. Um, but we incarnate to, to feel each other. We actually get to experience we get to experience sex. We get to experience food. This is why these are the great gifts. This is why that like oppression of those things runs directly counter to the creative life force of the universe, which is life and death and is ultimately all love. Wow. That's beautiful. (laughs) It reminds me of uh, times where I watch a little kid's fascination with something just innate and simplistic. Mm, you know? Yeah. It's like a, a three-year-old would walk in here right now, just like, ah! out, yeah. <laughs> you know, just freaking out over exactly. everything, you know? Yeah. It's really interesting. And I see them like, oh, that's a soul that just popped in yeah. and is given amnesia, mm-hmm. right, of past lives. And all of this is just new. And it's this fresh experience, yeah. but not really. It's sort of mm-hmm. a like a scene in one long, never-ending, infinite movie that we participate in as a character. You mm-hmm. know, it's really, mm-hmm. I think that kind of, Humility and curiosity Mm. um, and caring is essential in order for us to be able to dissect some of these challenging Mm. ideas and topics. You know, I think dialogues like this are so important and I'm not like tooting my own horn for being a participant (laughs) in said dialogue, but uh, these are the conversations that I want to listen to. These are the Mm. books that I want to read. Mm. I, I want the question answered is there more? Yeah. And ultimately, you know, like you've said, it mm-hmm. it does, and you you really go to this in the book in terms of people that care and you want to be proactive in helping other people, right? Because right, right. your cup gets so full, you're like, what can I do? I'm I'm right, good. Right. You know, I'm good. Yeah. I've got a good life. How can I contribute? Yeah. And um it seems to be, as you said so accurately, it's just in the embodiment and the simplicity of love. Mm-hmm. And I read yeah. a quote a couple of days ago uh, by Mother Teresa that apparently she said a lot. She said, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I'm just like, so the, yeah. the change that we seek mm-hmm. really must start with ourselves. And that requires a lot of mm-hmm. surrendering of preconceived ideas and positionalities mm-hmm. and identifications with this belief and that belief and this group right. and that group and who we mm-hmm. are and uh it's not easy to let go of those things. You know? You know, well, and even that is part of the great dance. Even that, I feel like, is like consciousness experiencing itself still, if that makes sense. Like there's a fun to it. There's a joy to sitting here like you as a, a separate person, you know, and we're doing this. It's like all of that's love too, you know, even the question, the challenges, that all of it. Um so that, I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, yeah it gets to a point where I, I'm like, am I making sense? Like, I'm just like jamboree. Yes, I wonder yes. that sometimes in conversations that go in this direction. I think mm-hmm. there's only a certain type of listener that's going to hang in for right. an hour and a half and like really go, whoa, but I don't care. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. this is what I would, if we went out to mm-hmm. dinner and we're just hanging as friends, like yeah. I would be having the exact same conversation. Right. 
Totally. You know? That's why I like going yeah. out where, um, to places that are quiet because mm-hmm. I really want to learn from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. yeah. Uh, but I do want to cover some other things <laughs> and thank you for going down those huge, like unanswerable oh, that's questions my favorite thing to with do. me. Thank you. Um, and I think where I wanted to go was your work around the goddess archetype. So now that mm. we've sort of cleared the path of loose and, and, and somewhat, um, vague definitions of patriarchy, but mm-hmm. ones that make sense to me, at least that mm-hmm. I kind of get my head around, mm-hmm. um, is this goddess archetype. Mm-hmm. And I can see that as being definitely true with historical proof and mm-hmm. relevance, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That feminine energy seems to be the thing that is first suppressed mm. by this rapacious thing we're calling patriarchy or uh, a masculine um, energy of ego or whatever it is. And there's mm. uh, a passage in your book I wanted to read, actually, oh, please, <laughs> uh, that I think really got my attention and got me thinking, uh, oh, wow, there's really something to this. It's on page uh, 60 and 61 in the book Grounded. Again, we'll link to this in the show notes, lukestory.com slash grounded. Um, Allow me to guide you through the terrain of the dark goddess, the exiled, forgotten, banished, suppressed, and oppressed part of the collective psyche that holds the keys to our greatest collective challenges and opportunities. And then there's a lot of historical references to these um, archetypal Mm -hmm. figures which I won't read because I won't be able to pronounce most of them. <laughs> and it's a lot of data. She is the primal void that gives life to all things. The original mother, the is it the crony? The crone. The crone. Okay. The crone. I was like the crony, like the homie, <laughs> me and the cronies. The moon, the night sky, priestess of the sacred fires of sexual healing, desire, connection to feminine independence and the earth herself. She is the drumbeat of the goddess, the primordial sound, the blood of each mother's heartbeat, the source, the origin, the origin. In her banishment, we have banished ourselves. In her suppression, we have suppressed the only thing that allows us to truly understand ourselves as part of the cycles of nature. And by forgetting her, we have forgotten who we truly are, along with our worthiness and our power to heal ourselves. The answer to the most dreadful challenge humankind has ever faced does not live in the rational mind. She lives in the shadows, in the dark recesses of our own psyches, in long-lost archetypes, in the collective unseen underground, in the mud, in the soil, in the fertile darkness where life thrives and forms and dies and reorganizes and rebirths to live, rebirths to live again. She is the forest floor, the mushrooms, the dark, or the dank, sweet smell of life and death. She lives in the place between the space unseen. She is pussy. She is placenta. She is menstrual blood. She is muse. She is mother, grandmother, and goddess. She has been pushed, prodded, criminalized, cursed, denied, sold, held captive, defiled, mutilated, tortured, oppressed, burned, and killed in mass. She has been rewritten, co-opted, erased, ridiculed, cast aside, gaslighted, belittled, uh, desecrated, desacralized, and bullied. She has been turned into temptress, seductress evil witch, devil worshiper, freak, demoness, dark poison, drug, siren, hag, <laughs> property, vengeful, jealous wife, and and threat to all that is holy and good. She is the fertile soil. She welcomes the seed, envelopes it. It's mm. gestation. Des- mm. gestation. It's been a long podcast, folks. Forgive me. <laughs> and holds holy space for birth. Life springs forth from her and she nourishes its roots. She 
she lives in constant exchange with all that is. And when we sleep, when we pass, when we cross over, she welcomes us back. She oversees the transition. She is the great inhale. She is the garden. She is the great mother, the yin. And she is holding us gently in facing our shame, grief, disconnection, and rage, welcoming us back to our darkest hour. That is some badass writing. <laughs> like, you. honestly, that's I had to read that, not even realize it was that long, but it speaks to the imbalance, yeah. right? And and that point in, in the beginning before I read it of, you know, why is that the thing that they go after, right? right it's right. like the female spiritual elders and the traditions and the space holders and tradition carriers mm. um, seem to be some of the first to go. Mm. It's it's really interesting in that way. So as I got further in the book and reading things like that, I'm like, oh, there is this thing mm. that wants to extinguish that feminine energy. And it's not mm. even about men or women, right. just on an energetic. So what else is there I guess for us to do to celebrate and to mm. cultivate that regardless of gender. Yeah. I know within myself, I'm super feminine energy and mm. always finding ways to become in balance. Mm. I think the mm-hmm. part of me that's having this dialogue with you is predominantly feminine and it's creative and heart centered and mm-hmm. um, fluid, mm-hmm. you know, and moving and yeah. uh, um, malleable, right? It's mm-hmm. not, I'm not like fixed holding space, masculine energy while you just emote, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, how can we find more of a relationship with that energetic and and bring it back to life, whether it be through personal mm. practice or tradition or anything? Mm, there's so much. Thank you for that. It's such a good reading and unpacking. I haven't ever heard, other than the audiobook, heard a human read that part of it. And that also, just like that first poem that came through almost in one piece. And there was there was a lot of rage in that moment actually coming through me, that rage and grief. Actually, the first thing that comes to me it's maybe a little counterintuitive, but um, sitting with that rage and grief because it has been, and I'll say it's it's always both. There's never it's never just the feminine or just the masculine, and, and I'll get back around to my own journey with my own masculine. It's really fascinating. I feel like um, the, the first thing that was required for me was to drop into that yin yoga, um, and that was that first time I I stopped running at that hamster wheel level of being like achievement and whatever, just what I thought was normal life and just breathing and just letting that go. Um, And so I feel like spending more time in spaces like that, however, that is true for you. Um, I know a lot of people still go into yin yoga and are like, um, Oh, I can't do this. It's not a workout. You know, like I can't sit still for this long. So I think that just just being with our bodies in the yin is is part of it. And then just the literal, like, take off your shoes, go put your feet in some soil somewhere, just connect, smell. If you can get to some forest soil and really smell the that, that rich, literally <laughs> so fertile soil, that doesn't require any tending. The, the forest tends to it itself, right? It's this, it's this entire thing. And that's where all, like, the mushrooms are, right? That's where our friends live. And so... <laughs> Um, so to, to be with that energy and then as I made space for that and started to shed some of this conditioning and these things, um, that, that grief and rage, and I started to become then conscious of some of these broken narratives and some of these horrible characters and our origin stories and things, these, these defilers, these whatever, um, that, that mirror in my life from whenever like other people or from myself unto myself, um, I started to let that grief and rage up. So there are, I have practices in the book where it's like, um, 
get in a car, scream into a pillow, you know, really honor it, really let it, let it go. That is dark goddess stuff. That's like, that's also, you can, you can let that back to mother earth, to the great, um, everything and know that you don't have to carry it. So starting to like release that. And, um, from there, for me, it actually turned all the way back around to deeply healing my masculine, which actually came, I was writing this book more when I was doing my healing of the feminine masculine was like hanging out over here. And then, and not the the toxic masculine, you know, was going, so it was like, okay, let's, let's detangle all this stuff. Let this go, feel this grief and rage. And then the masculine could finally be like, okay, now he gets to, literally right now, my whole right side of my body is, is working some stuff out because I've cleared some very specific things and become conscious of some very specific things. And it's like, oh, that's where that true protector is. That's where that true initiatory energy is. That's not this, whatever we've been taught it is that it does. We know it's not aligned that thing that comes in. It's like, Oh, this is a really natural, this is the mountain energy, you know, and the, and the, that yin is the ocean energy equally powerful. And that's when that begins to play. So I feel like those are, I don't know if you want more specifics about it, like specific rituals or anything like that, but well, that's how I no, walk that's, through it. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I, I like that part of your book that there are all of these little inserts of practices mm-hmm. like okay we talked about some stuff now go try this yeah um would you talk about some of the practices you mentioned towards the end of the book about immersing ourselves in natural things mm. i think that was like really cool in, like the actual literal practices or the yeah where you were you were talking about um natural fabrics and smells and mm, oh yeah that, yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff Your just like space, less yep. synthetic yeah. shit around yep. us well this is interesting because i wrote the book almost like six years of it, I was in this really beautiful little place up in like Topanga, Malibu. And I was cultivating this the whole time, not completely realizing that that's what I was, that's what I was doing. And also the place has a really natural soundscape and lightscape just by the virtue of where it is. So not a lot of car noise, not a lot of extra um, toxic then fumes and things like this, not a lot of extra lights and things coming in. And when I, I just recently moved, right, right, as the book was coming out and, and I stayed in wonderful places. I mean, nothing wrong with these places and staying with my friends in their lovely homes. And um, just, but moving around, coming down the mountain, it was like, oh, okay. The amount of sound noise, like garbage that we have going on, the amount of, and even it's like vibrational. Like when you're, we just tune out of it. We don't realize. So like being in a place where I didn't have it all the time, I was suddenly sensitized. And then like there are entire rooms like vibrating, you know, it's like, geez, and that's affecting our bodies. And this like um, the electromagnetic fields and all of this as well, like all of the TV noise, um, all of the bright lights, the blue lights, all of this. So I got to re- I had already written this, but I got reminded and it's like, okay, now I'm in a deep healing phase because it took a lot of energy to get to do that birthing process for two months. And the next two months, most recent, have been like, okay, um, back to it. I'm actually back on the mountain, which is funny. Um, but okay, what, how is my soundscape check in? Like, is it a lot of natural sound? Is it birds? Can it be? And I know this isn't necessarily easy to access, which is really says something about our culture and and how like privilege you have to be to hear natural sounds, to be somewhere where there's clean air, you know, clean water. These are the basic things our body needs. So check in with your soundscape, uh, including natural sounds. Also, like, is there a lot of car noise? Is there a lot of TV noise? Try to lessen that as much as possible. Um, Aromatherapy is huge. I mean, just in, in 
being able to take some little bag of essential oils with me wherever I go, I can then be with my space that way. And, um, it, and also calming, just lavender, regular old, you know, lavender essential oil, um, or three drops in a bath. If you can get that, um, being able to just actually just, I don't even know how to put words to this, just tend to my little space and feel comfortable and good in it. And, um, so yes, all the senses, sound, sight, all of the different lights we have, um, vibrations, scent. And um, I think that's most of it. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. amazing. And I, I notice when I was living in LA, anytime I would leave the city and just go to the woods or the yeah. beach or whatever, then I would really notice the um, density of the yeah. city. Yep. Yeah. And when you're in it, like you said, you just kind of, you acclimate and right. it just becomes normal until you hear silence. Even now living out here, uh, which is obviously much quieter uh, mm -hmm. at this place outside of Austin, but I was in the house, um, when was that yesterday? And I sat down to meditate and just the air conditioning was on right. and it was excruciatingly yeah. loud. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, God, I'm kind of hot, but yep. I went and turned it off because yep. I just, I actually just wanted true silence. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah. really, really so important. So I love you alluded to that, just natural fibers and smells yeah. and lighting is so crucial mm -hmm. as we sit under these horrific blue lights. <laughs> uh, I would be remiss if I did not touch on the topic of sex before mm -hmm. we end this conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. It could take us another six hours, <laughs> but um, I thought that your, your uh, exploration of that in the book was pretty brave mm, and, and vulnerable. Uh, mm. Specifically, you talked about kind of coming to an edge in your expansion mm. and it was recommended. I think you had two or three choices of mm -hmm. a sexual activity yeah. that you could choose, one of which being uh, a group sex mm -hmm. kind of orgy situation and you elected to take that. Mm -hmm. um, so I have to touch on that story, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, but more than anything, uh, how has exploring sexuality and mm. I'm being, you know, in, in such a dramatic way, an expression of feminine energy in its purest mm. form. How has that been a part of your healing and how has that changed within you? Mm. It's, it's, huge, it's a huge topic, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, you don't have to go into all of the nuances <laughs> of it, but. I mean, I, lo I love talking about it. I just, I'm like, oh, there's so much here. Um, yeah. whew, there's so much. Okay. So. Since since that moment, that that choice of three things that we'll get to, uh, it has been one of the greatest gifts of my life. And I was telling Allison, we talked about it as well. That um, I, when I got to that point, I didn't feel particularly suppressed, or I didn't feel like anything was wrong. This is why it was a really interesting invitation by somebody who could spot it in me energetically. And um, so I was like, I, don't know, I have good sex. I don't know, it's fine. Um, and then when the invitation came along. I was faced with the realization that I, I mean, I was shaking, I was crying. I had 20, 24 hours, I'm good choice, you know, um, but a 24 hour long invitation to potentially step into this thing. And um, I was like full on at some point, I was crying on the floor. I did it, I did it like, like literally weeping. Um, and I didn't call back until like the last minute. Like, I can think of five like, dudes right now. They'd be like, I'm pumped for tomorrow. <laughs> well, this is actually, there's, there's a funny part in the story. Well, in the, in the actual orgy that I got to, um, I met, I mean, it was relatively local. And so I ran into a few people that I knew, which I knew I probably would. And uh, it was a very well-held, very, very curated event. And they had never 
tried anything like it either. It was also a big step for them. And they were also completely terrified, which I found really relieving. I was like, oh, because I assumed that like, you know, the, but it's astounding. We're humans. We have so much stuff here and so much of it, um, so much unseen, so much even beyond what we might think is like a healthy sex life, you know, or what, why wouldn't I? I was telling Allison, like, I, I was like, I hadn't even, I wrote in the book, I hadn't even considered, I hadn't even thought of some of these things. And, um, or actually a few, and now it's like mm, threesome or something. Like I heard they're awkward. So I just, you know, whatever. Um, but really sitting with it, really facing it, I was like, oh, there's so much stuff in here. There's so much. And that's where it like got into masculine, the initiation part. Like, I realized I've been pursued my entire life pretty straightforwardly, like zero initiation skills, none. Could not lean in for a kiss, like nothing. <laughs> Which is like really um, you know, embarrassing. Like it's it's hard to embarrass me, I guess now in, on that level. But um, but yeah, it was just like mortification. No idea. Like, like I'd say a young boy in our culture like that. I'm like, whoa, good, like kudos to you guys. <laughs> like this, It's hard to cross that line. It's hard with these sorts of things. So endless amounts of learning in that. And then also like, the actual energetic, like sacral healing. So it was just immediately, I talk about this one. Um, so I chose, I chose orgy because I felt too threatened by the, the threesome thing was like potential jealousy or something like that. The, the intimacy, the close intimacy and dominatrix actually was the one furthest away from me, which I didn't realize, but that's that initiatory, that like holding energy. And I knew nothing about the dominatrix arts, which are phenomenal, by the way, because there's uh, there's this entire sexual empowerment healing community, huge, huge community that had never occurred to me to like listen to their podcasts and like learn this stuff. And there's so much fascinating stuff there. So there's this, this sort of opening. It's like, okay, where are your edges? Just like spiritual growth of any kind. It's like, oh, getting curious and being like, oh, there's more. What When I got curious, I then, but I found like huge amounts of fear, amazing amounts of fear. And, and now, let's see, I, I made the leap. So I am good at being curious. And then once I get past that crying on the floor phase, like <laughs> check myself at it, you know? And so I started mentioning it, mentioning it to people and a friend of mine, um, is a medicine woman and was in, um, she had just, I planted the seed, you know, and then it came around at some point and I was invited and it was like the perfect invitation because it was, I knew how beautifully held it would be by these particular people in this particular way. And it was, it was, uh, incredibly, um, loving and by people who know how to hold that kind of space. And so, so I had, and then I had this unbelievably mind-boggling, amazing experience with from all of that fear and like the teachings in that, just being like, "Wow, look at where I was, and look at what's possible that I had never even considered to try," you know. Um, and then from there, that actually led to more healing with uh, an ex of mine who became a lover, which we were able to do all kinds of healing in there. And I was able to bring that that masculine initiatory practice into there, being like, hey, I'm really bad at this. <laughs> like, I need help. <laughs> so, and I have had guys like help me with things, like literally being like, uh, like, I don't know. And I actually, I, this is cute. I went on a, on a date with a woman at some point and we were both like, um, and we're both by now, like we're a little more practiced, but we were like, this is like feminine on feminine. Like nobody knows how to drive. Like, no. <laughs> and, so, and we were, we figured it out. We were able to laugh about it. It's, but we both had the experience of, um, considering ourselves straight for our entire lives, not considering ever crossing that line. And so a lot of just well-worn 
habits. So we're never questioned. And then you get all the way into the dominatrix arts, which I'm not even, I'm still like, I'm still like, I'm a beginner, you know, but um, being able to truly step into that kind of energy, have that kind of courage to step all the way in there and be able to hold space for other people in, in their processes. Um, it also, it brought up um, places where there was trauma, where I didn't know. It brought up um, all, of course, that's that's the stuff that was holding it all down was this, the gunk, the shadow, and on, and on some level, just the overculture, just this thing that we're to this, like whatever prison of all the different kinds thing that's like, no, you're not allowed to do that. So I never even never crossed my mind. So you're not a, um, that's not who you are. And then of course, all of the shaming. And I literally just did a post today about shame because this morning it was like, there's this like shame release. It's like, oh, this is sacral. And this is like, there's stuff falling out of me. That's like, oh, whew, like, and when you let go of that shame, all of this other shame falls away too. I was speaking publicly about it, you know, um, all of the things that we get shamed for on a regular basis. And then, and sacral is also money. So it's tied in there. It's like, wow, how much stuff was there? How much was I carrying? How many family stories? How many cultural stories? Um, as opposed to it being then us connected to what I was writing about, which is the creative life force of the universe, which gets to express however it feels true. So wow. that, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your courage to explore that. I mean, I know, human sexuality it's the thing that there's often the most shame and mm. also just lack of self-knowledge i yeah, think you know yeah, i mean i had to yeah. go to so many different <laughs> extremes in my journey of different types of relationships and mm. all the things um i mean it's too long to explain and it's your show but uh, i relate in the sense mm. that that particular area is one that is ripe with opportunities mm. for expansion and growth yeah. right yeah and the well also sacral is like sex money creativity so like mm. how if, if any of us sit with like those edges um really how much and i know like i have lots of coach friends and things like this so it's like there's lots of money work going on we all are carrying something around or, or we've been clearing it for a long time um all of that stuff around sexuality and then our own creativity like it's creative expression even writing the book i mean i thought of myself as an academic right at first and and sort of also being shamed out of being like uh my own shame, but then also like the institutional shame being like, okay, I'm going to wander this way and I'm going to be a writer and I'm going to write about sex and I'm going to write about spirituality. You know, this is all, um, that's all so much of the journey. It's freedom though. We're all the way back around to freedom. So this is where I yeah. feel like freedom is not necessarily around like Republicans are for freedom and, you know, or this, you know, whatever. It's like, there are through lines, there are threads. And I think it's fascinating to see what's happening in our culture where just categories are shifting like this because because true freedom true spiritual sovereignty of our bodies of our sexuality of our um of this balance it's also the tantric path right there's masculine feminine in this dance and like the heroes gamos so and now i'm learning all of this i'm like oh shiva shakti oh the you know like of course it's the eternal lovers and so it's like also i have a <laughs> lot of dumb moments <laughs> like years into the journey I'm like oh it's a silly perfect metaphor right. and um it's all leading back to our own integral integrity integration uh full expression as whatever sovereign being we in, in, uh, incarnate as wow thank you for that 
Well, damn it. I think we did it. I think we did it. <laughs> I don't know what else we could have covered and still be and not call it like an audio book or yeah. something, you know? Um, so yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, we're, we're, we're deep in the cut here. All right. Thank you so much for your uh, your courageous self exploration. Mm. I think that's what drew me to to you and your work. Is I just love people that are willing to go there, mm. you know, and to mm. just keep decimating the boxes they find themselves in until eventually, hopefully, there there aren't many boxes yeah. left, you know, and that mm. we can find that true sense of inner liberation, mm. you know. Love. So thank you, mm. thank you for your commitment and curiosity. Mm. Uh, I got one more question for you, and okay. it's a short one. Right. Who are three teachers or teachings mm. that have influenced your life and your work that you might share with us? I remember I heard this before, and I decided not to think ahead, Good. And, and I forgot. Good job. <laughs> teachers or teachings. Yeah. Okay. I, so what did come to mind when I first heard it were my own like individual teachers that are not necessarily famous, famous, like look great. Um, Kat Kabira in Bali was the woman that taught my yoga energetics and craniosacral class. Uh, and she's still teaching out there. Um, uh, friend and sometimes client would switch off and, and coach at the time, Alyssa Nobriga was incredible. She's in Los Angeles. Um, she is a phenomenal coach and, um, so she had a huge impact. She was the like 2018 moment. Kat was the 2014 moment. And let me see. Marion Williamson. <laughs> it's just, it's just like low hanging fruit. Um, a return to love, you know, back in the day. And all of her, her courage, all of the stuff that she's been, whether you agree with her politically or not, I just feel like the, um, categories and boundaries that she's just smashed apart in the last several years and that spiritual courage i uh i, I greatly respect her work yeah i used to go see her speak a lot in la it was one yeah. of the great things about being there yeah for a time yeah she'd be on this theater uh down in wilshire mm. every wednesday or whatever it was yeah wow good mm. stuff yeah thank you so much for sharing uh mm -hmm. lastly where can people mm -hmm. find you on social media mm. website anywhere you want to send anyone to get to know you better well, my name, erinmcmorrow.com. So that's easy. And I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me on all the social media, but it's Mcmorrow on Instagram. And that feeds actually into most of my places. And, and my book is on there. You can also, the book is obviously Amazon, Barnes & Noble, your classic. Also um, like to encourage people to support indie bookstores and either just walk in wherever you are, find it, or I think it's bookshop.org if I got that right, that you cool. can get indie books. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I didn't know that. We'll put that in the show mm. notes too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for coming to town. I'm so glad we're able yeah. to do this in person Thrilled. and not be sitting on a Zoom. It yes. would have been a different experience. I'm sure yeah. great, but not yeah. like this. This was awesome. Yeah. I'm so grateful. Thank you so Likewise. much. And thank you for your work. Yeah. Thank you. Man, that is what I call a great conversation. Can you imagine if everywhere you went, rather than having small talk, you got to have a deep dive convo like the one that you just participated in, well, at least as a listener? I love talking to people like Aaron. I love talking to open, expansive minds that see the point of individual personal evolution as a means by which to bring about the change we want in the world. Some of the stuff we touched on there in the end. It's just incredible when you meet someone who, especially someone actually that has some different ideas about the world and you're able to kind of find ways in which your ideas can coalesce. And uh, this episode was no exception. So thank you so much for joining us. Highly recommend that you check out Aaron's book, Grounded. It's a super easy read. It's very accessible and approachable. 
as someone who often doesn't find the time to uh, dig into very dense texts, but still wants to extract as much meaning and value as I can from the books that I read, uh, hers would definitely qualify to be in that category. I'd like to thank our sponsors, of course. I mean, honestly, the show wouldn't happen without them. There's no way after uh, com- coming up on seven years that I could do this without some support. So I'm really grateful uh, for them to allow me to not have to go get um, you know, a day job. I don't even know what I'm qualified to do, to be honest. So thank you for supporting the show by supporting our sponsors. The first one is insidetracker.com slash Luke where you can essentially become your own functional medicine doctor and uh, handle getting your own labs and some great recommendations on what to do once you get those labs, your biomarkers, et cetera. And we've got earthechofoods.com slash Luke story. I got bags of cacao bliss all over the kitchen, hidden in the cabinets. Uh, both Alice and I use it all the time. It's an incredible cacao mix and they have a number of other products now that have emerged. But for for my you know daily cacao, EarthEchoFoods.com slash Luke Story is where I get down. And then you might not know this, and this isn't like a scare you to buy something tactic, but uh, the conservative estimates are that about 50% of the world population is deficient in magnesium. And that has to do with our soil, the water we drink, et cetera. And magnesium is so crucial to not only our body, but specifically our brain's health. And there are a lot of subpar Uh, magnesium products on on the market. Let's just say that. And so the one that I'm currently using that I really enjoy and feel the benefits of is called Magnesium Breakthrough. And you can find that at magbreakthrough.com slash Luke. So thank you to our three sponsors. Thank you for supporting them if you feel able and called. I've got an upcoming event. It's creeping up on us here. I feel like it's summer, but it's not. At the time of this recording, it's like the end of, uh, what is it? The end of September. It's around the corner. I'll be speaking at uh, an event called Meet Delic in Las Vegas, November 6th and 7th. You can get tickets to that event and really any events that I'm participating in at lukestory.com slash events. You can get your tickets there. It's a psychedelic symposium of sorts. Tons of other incredible speakers. Uh, we've got Dr. Chris Ryan, got Aubrey Marcus, Allison Charles, Uh, Who are the other ones? Man, I can think of them off the top of my head, but a lot of great people showing up for that one. So it's going to be really fun. Oh, Duncan Trussell is going to be there. You know, all of the luminaries kind of in the consciousness expansion space. So again, that's Meet Delic, November 6th and 7th. I hope to meet you there. We're kind of getting back in the swing of in-person events these days, which is really nice. And then finally, I'll be back uh, this Friday for number 372. It's a solo cast Q&A show where I'll be talking about back pain, microdosing, ice baths, smart drugs and brain function, EMF blocker scams, and depression. So subscribe to the show. And if you enjoyed this episode with Aaron, please do yourself, her, me, and the world a favor and share it with a couple friends. Thanks so much. And I'll be back Friday. Mm-hmm.